places to uh, hunt pigs. And I wanted to drive. I'm tired of flying all the stuff that's going on with flying. <clears throat> so I decided to break it up over three days. So I would, I would drive seven hours a day. I was surprised that the first and the second stop were Knoxville and then Memphis. Ten, uh, Tennessee is long. <laughs> long, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're long, all right. So you didn't stop in, uh, you didn't stop in the national area? Yes, Devon, mystery concept, uh, called Killer Nashville. Ooh, I did that, I guess, maybe five years ago. Yeah? Was, yeah. Killer Nashville. Yeah. Is that like a Comic Con right? or something, but with... Yeah. Like horror movies and mystery and stuff? Well, mostly, I think it's mostly writers, like books. Um, okay. I, quite honestly, I don't know. More of a literary <laughs> type, type thing. Yeah, exactly. To, to the degree that mystery writers write uh, literature. <laughs> but I always think it's sort of obnoxious to, uh, I don't know. I, I don't consider that what I do is, is literature. I consider what I do is entertainment. Is entertainment? Well, yeah. yeah. It, and it there's nothing is. wrong with it. There's no apology in that at all. Yeah. I mean, re reading is a form of entertainment. There's it sure is. No doubt about it. So you could definitely be categorized that way. So you ready? Right. You have any more questions for me? You ready to do this? You ready to jump yeah, in? Yeah, I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Head first. <laughs> All right, lead heads. Welcome back to another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. This is your host, Lefty. And I've got a great show lined up for you lead heads today, especially for you thriller literary lovers. Uh, we've got Mr. John Gilstrap, and he is the author, I'm sorry, the New York Times bestselling author. Let me let me throw that in there. <laughs> yeah, well. And awards. Get it right. Well, yeah, I mean, come on. Come on. And, and he's, he's won a few awards along the way uh, with his Jonathan Grave thriller series and your new Victoria Emerson post-apocalyptic type series. And I know we, a lot of our listeners are really into that, that genre. And I know that you like to distinguish it from the zombie post-apocalyptic because it's... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was funny when, we were, when I was first pitching this idea to my publisher and I said... And, and I explained it as post-apocalyptic because commercial fiction, everything has to be in a genre. Yeah. And I said, oh, my God, no, you can't do it because that means monsters and zombies now. So <laughs> but, there, but there's not there's not another word for something after the apocalypse that is just humans. So right. This is the just humans type. This is what the actual post-apocalyptic means. This is a real post-apocalyptic type scenario where there's right. There's not going to be the walking dead going on. <laughs> No. <laughs> so, no, no, no. And we want to we want to learn more about your your books, uh, your characters. Uh, we want to learn more about you uh, as a person, John, and being a two A advocate. I know our listeners are going to be very excited to to hear about that aspect of your life. Uh, former firefighter, EMT, explosive expert. Uh, we're going to learn about all that uh, about Mister Gilstrap coming up. So. Uh, but before we do that, John, we've got you know, to thank our sponsors, uh, the people that make this happen, because we don't run on thanks on this show. <laughs> it takes it takes money. And sponsors like Keltec, as you can see I'm wearing here, my nice new Keltec t-shirt. And if you leadheads want to get some Keltec apparel swag, you can go to their website, keltecweapons.com, and you use the code LEADHEAD, and they're going to give you 15% off. 
That is our first discount code that we've had set up with uh, Keltec. I don't think they've ever set one up with anybody before. And it's not weapons. You can't buy their guns. They don't sell their guns on their website. But any of their apparel, swag, stuff like that, you can get. They used to have flashlights on there and knives. I don't know if they still have all that, but they've got cool stuff. Uh, go check them out, KeltecWeapons.com. Uh, and then, of course, Mission First Tactical. Are you familiar with Mission First Tactical, John? I am not. I'm certainly familiar with Keltec. Yeah, so Mission First Tactical makes all kinds of AR-15 accessories. So if you're building your AR-15 or you need magazines, they can put custom cool logos on their magazines. Their magazines are really good. They're 30-round AR magazines. They got AR-10 magazines also. Um, but we had some printed up with our Leadhead Brigade logo. And uh, you guys can go to Mission First Tactical. You can get the Talking Lead logoed. Uh, items or you can get your own cool logo put on there if you want to uh, mission first tactical are you allowed to have 30 round magazines in your state john we sure are well absolutely. I'll, I'll get your address after and i'll send you some I'll all right hook, thank you very much i will hook you up with that uh, and then of course the famous dump trays at mission first tactical where you can have custom print jobs on those we've got our ak corner on the one for our video audience that are looking uh, at the video now we use these for our armor's tray also, John. Um, if you're gunsmithing, working on your guns, you can put all your small parts and uh, all that while you're cleaning or you're building. Uh, it's a great little uh, tray for that. Holds up perfect because this is inked. This ink is injected in there, and it's not just on the on the top, so uh, it won't come off. Uh, Mission First Tactical, use the code LEADHEAD, and you're going to get 20% off at Mission First Tactical. And then as we were talking about, I don't know if you're one of those people who like to clean your guns or not, John, but I, I bet you are. Seal yeah. one, uh, CLP plus, uh, and we're going to be giving one of these away to one of our listeners today. So one of you lucky listeners that participated in our questions for John, uh, we're going to be giving away one of these awesome Seal one CLP packs. Um, green engineered, safe for the environment, safe for you, uh, and it also... Works really good on your guns, keeping them clean, and for your accuracy. Um, if you want to learn more about how to use it for increasing the accuracy in your firearm, get in touch with me or go to seal1.com, and you can get information there. But go to their website and use the code LEADHEAD and get 25% off SEAL1. Rob would tell you that failing to prepare is preparing to fail. He's not a prepper. But survival skills, personal preparedness, and self-sufficiency are important skill sets in his book. His firearm of choice, the Keltec RDB Survival, says a lot about him. This great compact bullpup rifle fits in a pack and tight spaces when he feels like bugging out. Unlike ordinary bullpups, the RDBS rifle redefines the concept of platform, offering a traditional rifle grip, balance, crisp trigger, and an adjustable buttstock. The RDB Survival delivers 556223 ballistic performance in a compact package weighing 5 pounds 14 ounces. It has a patented downward ejection that allows for complete ambidextrous use with an intuitive safety and reversible charging handle. It's a get you there, never let you down kind of rifle. Innovation. Performance. Keltec. So there you go. We got that out of the way. <laughs> That's a lot of good stuff. That, that is good stuff, and we've got more. We've got a lot more discount codes that we're going to give out throughout the show uh, for our lead heads. We like to uh, reward our listeners. So more so than 
you know, we're getting something, our, our listeners are getting something as well. And you too. You're welcome to use those codes too, John. So feel free. Okay. Uh, before we get into learning more about John, we do this segment, John. It's called the Talking Lead Jack Wagon Train. They call it the Planes and Trains segment because we, we take care of some people that we don't necessarily agree with. And then we also honor some people that we think are doing some good in our, our community. So, And the, the Gunny, I know you know who the Gunny was. Oh, yeah. He does the intro for our jack wagon train. So, Gunny, bring that train in. Hey, Ralph, Zephyr Pie, do or die, hold them high at 8th and I. It is time for the Talking Lead Jack Wagon of the Week. So, brace yourself, baby. <laughs> All right, the train has station, John, and we're going to take care of some, some jack wagons. And I know you have no idea what I'm talking about. At not a clue. Not a clue, but fine. I think you're going to catch on once I, I get into it here. So we've got uh, some listeners submitted jack wagons, and I'm going to go to one right now. And this one is from Leadhead Jeff, Jeff Haddix. He said, Jack Wagon nomination. California Assembly member Jim Cooper stopped by airport security with loaded gun in carry-on baggage. <laughs> so, and he's got a link here to an article, but he says, Hey, Lefty, I proudly nominate, and I'm going to have to put my glasses on. Here we go. My State Assemblyman Jim Cooper, retired Sacramento County Sheriff's Deputy, current candidate for Sacramento County Sheriff, as he has lost once or twice... Uh, Assemblyman Cooper had a loaded handgun by TSA at the Sacramento International Airport in his carry-on bag a few days ago. This jack wagon is a sponsor of a bill banning homemade guns. That's what they call the ghost guns. Mm -hmm. uh, homemade guns. Has voted for red flag laws, a resolution for Congress members to not conceal carry to the Capitol, limiting the purchasing uh, of firearms, increasing firearm purchasing fees, Requiring the DOJ to supply information to the California Firearms Violence Research Center. This is just where he came down on the wrong side of the Second Amendment. Uh, and a few he just didn't vote for at all. Many local news outlets state that he was given the firearm back after his return to the airport, stating he was a retired law enforcement. Uh, he's allowed to do that. Have it on the grounds, but he can't go through security. I myself am a retired police officer. Uh, thank you for your service, Mr. Haddocks. Uh, in one of uh, once in the Golden State, so in California, but I seriously doubt I would have been given the same treatment. Probably not. Uh, keep the great content coming for another ten years, and we are celebrating our ten years of talking lead, John. So this is our ten year anniversary of of educating the uneducated. <laughs> Did I lose you? So John's working on his audio here. I think he hit a wrong button. I, I can't hear you. I see your lips moving. Sometimes I can read lips. <laughs> I don't think that's going to do good for our audience, though. <laughs> Try this. Try hanging up and then calling back in. Sometimes that will reset it. And I'll, I'll keep going while you're doing that. Uh, so while John is working on his connection, um, so this is a great... Nomination. And it just goes to show uh, the hypocrisy behind uh, the people that are in government that are trying to take away our rights and our privilege, privileges, yet, you know, this doesn't apply to them. You know, for some reason, all these laws and, and bans and all that they want to impose on us, uh, 
it never applies to them. And, you know, they know that it's not going to. Just like these mass mandates when they had those going on. And uh, uh, I don't remember the jack wagon, whoever their governor is there, or mayor in California was going to all these parties, not wearing masks and doing all these social gatherings when you weren't supposed to be doing them. Uh, knowing good and well, you know, that's what's in our mind as well. It's like, it's useless. There's no harm in us doing this. And they know it, but yet they're trying to prevent us from doing it. So hypocrisy at its finest. So that is a great Jack Wagon nomination right there. And we're still kind of waiting on John to get reconnected here. But while we're doing that, I am going to do a hero, Lead Head Brigade hero. And my hero is... And it's not necessarily the people behind it, but what they're, what, you know, what they're doing. Because, oh, hold on. So we're going to try to recapture the momentum here? <laughs> uh, I kept it going. I kept it going while you were gone. So welcome. Oh, okay. Welcome back. Uh, I thank you. It's a little trip out to limbo. It's kind I of, think kind we're of probably out there. It's we're cold being, and dark. We're being spied on. Yeah. Uh, the government spying on us. They didn't want us talking because they knew we were going to make great things happen today. <laughs> so, so we took care of that jack wagon um that i was talking about there did you have any comments on that uh when he wanted to say anything about the jim oh, cooper well, now, now i know what a jack wagon is and there you go and and, and definitely we call it a moron where i come from or a moron moron um, yeah it, it's uh maroon it's, bugs bunny and when i when I consider how many pocket knives I have submitted to TSA over the years, uh, <laughs> it it it, it kind of angers me. Oh yeah, no doubt. I I got a story on that though. Well, let's hear it. Okay, a buddy of mine, a writer buddy of mine, was going through TSA, and he realized he had a, a really good knife clipped to his pocket. Yeah. You know, like a Benchmade sort of thing, and he'd already checked his luggage. And he wasn't just going to hand it over to TSA and he was running late on his flight. So he didn't know what to do. So he went to the bookstore in the airport and he put the knife behind like Jane Eyre, you know, some one of the, the, the classic books. He was gone for a week and a half. He came back and the knife was still there because nobody reads those books. <laughs> <Right. laughs> He's like, nobody's going to touch this book. It's got dust on it. It's going to be safe exactly. here. <laughs> That's smart thinking. That yeah, is, I thought that was really good. That is smart thinking because otherwise you got to either – um, leave with mm -hmm. it. Try to go take it back to your car, uh, or you like you said, you donate it to TSA, and that's just something that they're going to put in their pocket and you know score from them. And I was at a gun show a couple months ago, and the um, there's a there's a vendor that buys those from TSA and then sells them at the show. Oh, really? So you, yeah. So I mean, so TSA is making money off of these things. That kind of pisses me off. Absolutely, they are. Why wouldn't they? It's the government, right? Yeah. Well, okay. Well, TSA, they're they're a government contractor, I guess. Mm -hmm. So they're in, they're just in it to win it for themselves. So they'll take anything and everything they can for that reason. Like you said, they're making money off of it. Jack wagons, definitely. So that's good. That's a good jack wagon. So TSA, <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome back to the to the jack wagon train, TSA. <laughs> So I was also talking about a hero that I wanted to nominate, and uh, I was getting into the story about SpaceX. So I was like, I don't necessarily uh, support the people that are behind SpaceX, but I, I do support what the ultimate goal and what SpaceX is trying to do. And they just had a, a launch recently. Um, 
Well, let's see if it's got a date on when this happened. The SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket launches looks like March 9th. So that's today. Yeah. That was today. This launched today. So this was today as of this morning. It says the SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket boosted the company's latest batch of Starlink internet satellites to low Earth orbit Wednesday, but not before launch engineers poked fun at Russia's recent comments on U.S. space vehicles. And here's a quote. It says, time to let the American boomstick fly and hear the sounds of freedom. So I kind of like that. SpaceX launch engineer Julia Black called out just before 8.45 a.m. Eastern. So that's that's probably why I didn't uh, hear about it. I wasn't up yet. <laughs> uh, from Cape Canaveral Space Force Station, launch director is go for launch. So that's just kind of like been a childhood thing of mine, John. Ever since I was young, I always wanted to be an astronaut. Um, so I got my degree in in aerospace growing up. I uh, did a little piloting and, and whatnot. Uh, but I never got as far as getting into any kind of space program. So I always like to keep close ties on NASA and SpaceX and uh, what's the the other guy, Elon Musk? What, what's mm -hmm. he? Is he SpaceX or... I think he is SpaceX. Who's the other one? The Amazon guy. Oh, he's yeah. He's uh, got one too, doesn't Bezos. he? Bezos. Bezos. Yeah, Bezos. He's got some sort of space program going too. Uh, but yeah, so I, I like to see our our efforts to to reach out into the stars continuing. So uh, SpaceX, and, and necessarily not SpaceX, but Julia Black with her comment, time to let the American boomstick fly and hear the sounds of freedom. I like that. That's a great quote. I'll tell you, as a guy who used to be, well, it used to be aerospace. I used to be aerospace, but on the on the propulsion side of things, mm -hmm. I have nothing but respect for the technology. The fact that they can recover their boosters on a floating little deck yeah. out in, in the water and have it have it, it land vertically. Yeah, that's that's a lot of technology, right? That there. is. That's just that's amazing. It's amazing how how far we've come. I mean, look. At what it took, though, it took getting the civilian market into it to do mm -hmm. this, you know, and that that's where the government needs to let go. I mean, it just goes to show the more government interference we have with crap, the the less. What's the word I'm looking for? Red tape. Not red, not necessarily red tape, but advancement that we have. So we we could have advanced a whole lot further in our endeavors to space had they turned it over to the uh, civilian market. Decades ago, decades, well, as Kennedy would say, you know, the back in the 60s, when people were strapping themselves to ICBMs, that's what the Mercury program was. Yeah. Just a new I think that you got to give props to the government for that. Then it got bloated and fat and um, and like so many government programs yeah. went out of control. But I don't I think that the, the progress through midway through the Apollo program, I don't know that we, without the participation of the government and the billions of dollars from the government, yeah. I don't think it would have been a civilian market. But there comes a point in any government program where the, the well, civilian oversight is, is a given. Sure. But civilian industrial uh, participation makes things work oh, absolutely. a lot better. But Martin Marietta, you know, was involved in, I, I shouldn't go too far off my skis here, but on the LEM program and, and, the various elements of the Apollo program yeah. were developed and designed by 
free enterprise under contracts to the government. Right. So with a lot of know, government I, oversight, a lot of government oversight. Well, it was a yeah. NASA program. Yeah. So, it, so it was, I mean, it wasn't really a civilian, you know, type program, but they did bring in some civilian muscle power, we'll say. Right. Right. Yeah. Very good. So that that's my hero. Do you have a hero? You have any heroes you want to you want to nominate for a lead force well, one ride? Right now, right at this particular moment in time, yes, I do. It okay. is my West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. I think that, you know, here's a nice. guy, my my politics run to the right quite a bit and you know, here's a guy from well, it used to be a deep blue state. Now it's the blue went away from them. So it's, it's getting to be a deep red state, but here's a guy who's voting his conscience against his caucus and holding fast. And, you know, so yeah, he's, he's my hero for, for the moment. Joe, man, I'm going to share my screen. I, I have this ability, uh, John, Joe Manchin. There he is. Mm-hmm. And he is West Virginia. Yeah. Up in West Virginia, there he is. Now, is he? Is he got anything uh, in particular that he's doing right now that he's trying to push and promote? Well, he was the lone holdout uh, in the Democrat. Well, he and uh, Kristen Sinema were the lone holdouts that blocked the gargantuan spending plan and the the, the Build Back Better thing that was going to get rammed through the Senate uh, as it ran through the house and he alone stood and said, no, it's not the right thing to do. And he took a, took a lot of crap for it yeah. from his fellow Democrats. Very good. So welcome to lead force one, Joe Manchin. Definitely. What about a jack wagon? You got any more jack wagons? That You know, in my line of work, where you got a lot, selling, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it never, it's never a good idea to call them out. Um, well, yeah. But, I understand that. You don't have to name names. You can just be like, there's this group of people that, <laughs> that do this certain thing. <laughs> there's, this, there's this group of people who, who believe that by shutting off sources of energy, we will just stop using fossil fuels and, and, and do other things. Yeah. Um, it's, it's foolish. You know, the Greens are... I've been in the environmental business for a long time, but it just it just doesn't work. I think um, the amount of the amount of um, these are troubling times from a I'm going to say a liberty standpoint because that mm. just sounds too over the top. But it just there's a real effort on the part of many people to control what I say, not me personally, but what what we what say is being said. Yeah, what yeah, what's being disseminated. And, and if and it's the the narrative being shut down, the opposing narrative being shut down um, and canceled, as as they say. I just, I think these are really troubling times, and and the folks who are on the wrong side of history are all jack wagons. Yeah, definitely. You know, and and I think you were onto the right path there when you said liberty, because that is a freedom, freedom of speech, which freedom of speech is being squelched by mm -hmm. by certain entities. And we all know who we're talking about, the, you know, the, the big social media giants that are out there, the news media giants that are out there. And, you know, they're pushing and promoting their narrative versus what is actual. And 
mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're preaching to the choir here. Our listeners definitely understand that, but it's good to know that you're on that side of things too. So I think you just won some, some hearts there with that one, John. Good job. Oh, I'm very, very solidly on, on that. And I, I don't know, this is sort of a free form conversation, but I yeah. think one of the things, the, we, we talk about liberty and freedom of, you know, all these things being the first amendment and then the the third amendment and the is is protects us from quartering troops in our homes which hasn't been relevant for a while and then the fourth amendment is unreasonable search and seizure and then it goes on from there how how to be treated when in prison it it is no accident that the second amendment is the one that falls right between the first and the third right. you know, back in back in the 18th century the the concern was the abuse of power and the government entities overriding the rights of individuals. Mm-hmm. So the, the Second Amendment sits there very significantly. And the, it's an argument I've always wanted to make, but never been able to. So when you talk about liberty and the protection of liberty, and whenever we're in a position where opposing thought, doesn't matter how obnoxious the opposing thought is, right. I, it, it needs to be heard. Everybody has a right to be heard. And and to have those rights protected, especially by the people who disagree with them. Right. And that's the problem is that we have the right, the right exists, but it's not being protected. Right. Correct. It's only being protected on one side. (laughs) Right. Correct. We'll we'll put it that way. Uh, But that is a great point that you, that you bring up. And I don't guess I've really heard anybody uh, argue it that way with the third amendment as well, because a lot of, I guarantee you, 98% of the people out there can't tell you what the Third Amendment is. So uh, it makes perfect sense to own firearms, protect ourselves from a tyrannical government, and then the Third Amendment to keep the government uh, from coming in and taking over your property to house their, you know, their, their soldiers, basically just seizing your property when they want to. Right. So, yeah, that's a great point. I like that. Very good. So I don't think we've got any more listeners. I'm going to go to that post because I asked them to put uh, jack wagons on that post too. I'm just going to check it real quick, make sure there's not any there. And as we go through, there's never a bad time to throw somebody on the jack wagon train or honor a hero. So as we go through and something pops up, uh, we can definitely take care of them. Uh, there's no time limit on that. Very okay, good. I got it. I got another hero for it, just oh, because yeah. this is something it's it's rare that as an author I, I don't i don't get the opportunity to have discussions like this very often in in an environment like this and one of the things that i i think it's lost when we talk about heroes usually we talk about individuals or classes of individuals and and there's the the valorous heroes the ones who give up their lives and 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 go into violent situations or into right. unsafe situations but I want to have a shout out for the, the people throughout this, this country who go to work every day in a job that they don't particularly like or that is dangerous or it's a job that I wouldn't want to have. And they do it every day because it's the thing they need to do to protect their families. They're never going to be famous for it. They're never going to be rich for it. But they do it uh, because that's the right thing to do in order to keep their families going. And I, that is, that's the root of America, I think. Oh, that's, absolutely. We, we are built off of, of people who live 
their lives in a small way. That doesn't mean they're small people. Don't take me wrong. Oh, not at all. But but they're not seeking fame or fortune. They they just want to go on, and 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 they're not seeking know, have, handouts. No, they don't yeah. seek handouts. It, it's, they're not looking to the go- for, to the government to to get ahead to help them, you know, make it through a, a difficult time. You know, they they want the opportunity to be to do that on their own, to be able to do it right. themselves. And uh, and I I worry that they get forgotten by certainly they, they've been forgotten by the media, but who cares about the media? But yeah. they're they've been forgotten by politicians, even the politicians that represent them. Um, yeah, I and. Oh, yeah, that's sorry. that's upsetting. Hello. Sorry. That's okay. Speaking of jack wagons, <laughs> spam. I, I've tried to find where my phone is so it doesn't go off now. <laughs> and it won't even hang up. All right. Phone maintenance. My bad. So this phone, I don't know. I, I, I use, because uh, I hate Apple. Uh, again, I told you I'm a, a non-conformist. I hate Apple. I will never use anything Apple. So I'm using one of these Android phones. I've got a Samsung something or another. But it works when it wants to. <laughs> so, so trying to turn my volume down right now. Not working. There it goes, finally. There. I guess I was the last person on the planet to learn that uh, AT&T was going to stop servicing 3G phones, as if I know what that means. Yeah. And um, so one day last week, I just stopped being able to be able to make phone calls. Oh, Nothing. really? Yeah. So I went, took it to the store, and they said that's phone's five years old. It's too old. <laughs> you have to get a new phone. <laughs> I said, uh, okay. what? Yeah. Uh, talk about uh, jack wagons. The the utility companies, the phone, the internet. They're just they're bullies. They're absolute bullies, and mm-hmm. uh, there's no, there's really no control over them, and they can do what they want. So if they say, hey, your phone's a, a year old, and oh, well, we're not going to service it anymore, then no, oh, well, too bad. You got to get $1,000 or sign on to another two-year plan or some bullshit like that. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I definitely hate that. Uh, a bane of my existence is the cell phone. Absolutely hate it. <laughs> It got away with the times where you could actually hide. That's you know, true. You, yeah. Uh, Unless you just leave think, it behind. I, I also think they make things more complicated. I've got a few years on you, but the... Um, Not many, I would say. The, <laughs> the, the need to respond immediately to anything, whether it's, it's happy birthday or, hey, get your car out of my yard. Uh, that that drive to respond instantly, which is uh, exacerbated by the presence of the phone because it's always with you, that means you, it's a lot of ill-considered responses. Yeah, you give that quick emotional response that just makes things worse instead of taking the time to stew on it and sit down and you know, well, maybe think things through. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the the same way, and I've gotten to that instant instant gratification, instant response. Uh, you know, the Pavlov dog kind of thing where they've conditioned me for this. And if I send somebody a message and I don't get, you know, a response back and I, I try to be reasonable about it, you know, 10, 20 minutes, <laughs> then, <laughs> you know, then I'm starting to worry. It's like, did I piss this person off? Did I, did I do something to upset them? You know, you, all these things start going through your mind and then, and then you just like, I'll just call them. <laughs> so, 
then you're like calling. You're like, hey, why didn't you respond back? You're like, I'm at the doctor's, you know. <laughs> so, That's right. <laughs> so, so you feel like an asshole for that. But yeah, definitely. Uh, but they have conditioned us and they have done it well. They, they definitely, there was a plan in place with this, uh, this whole internet, this whole cell phone. Um, the Instagrams, you know, it, the name says it, uh, you know, it's uh, Instagram. Everything's instant and, and meant to be that way. Yeah. We, uh, well, and then, and then it drives people. You have all of these, these videos, you know, phone videos that people are taking of horrific things being done, whether it's somebody beating a dog or, or beating another person or robbing a store or whatever. It's the same thing you could be using to call 911. But instead of that, oh my God, help, yeah, you're filming the damn thing. Yeah, I, I find this unconscionable. It's like somebody's getting beat in the middle of the street, and all these people are there videoing it instead of jumping in and assisting and helping, like you know any rational person would, as long as you're physically capable, or calling the police or someone to assist. They're just sitting there videoing, hoping that they're going to get that, you know, the right. uh, what is it called? Go viral. They want to go viral kind of deal. So, but let's try to make you go viral on this show today, John, with our Okay, let's do that. Let's, I, and I think we're doing it. Plan. I think your numbers are up already. I think they're going up and up and up. Uh, you're hitting all the uh, all the right tick marks. So, uh, We're going to get the jack wagon train out of here. We've taken care of enough jack wagons and, and honored some heroes there. And we want to learn more about you, John Gilstrap, the author. Uh, and then we're going to learn more about you, the person. So tell us about uh, your literary works and how you got involved with with the novels from with your background of being a firefighter and EMT explosive expert. Uh, how does that transition into into becoming a thriller novelist? Well, I didn't realize till after the fact that it was on the job training to become a thriller novelist. You know, at, at, yeah. while I was doing those those uh, the, those careers, that was what I was doing. Uh, the firefighter EMT thing was a, uh, I was with a volunteer fire department that ran 14,000 calls a year and in, in Northern Virginia, Prince William County, Virginia. Wow. And at that, while I was doing that in weekends and evenings and holidays and all of that, I was also the explosives, uh, excuse me, I was a safety, uh, head of the safety department for explosives manufacturer. And <clears throat> we did, Stinger missile, multiple launch rocket system. We did Navy standard missile. We did. We were second on the on the um, shuttle, space shuttle. We never actually did a full up, but we were second Lockheed? on that. No, this uh, the company was called Atlantic Research. Okay, which then became I don't think it exists in any form anymore after it's been bought and split up and all right. of that. But at the time, this was in the eighties, uh, the Reagan years, and you know you couldn't make enough uh, weaponry. Oh in, yeah, in the Reagan years. So that was a really Star great Star Wars. And, you know what? That people don't realize that the uh, uh, Strategic Defense Initiative, which is what Star, Star Wars, Wars yeah. that, that killed the Soviet Union. There, oh, absolutely. If, that was a key player in all of that, and that was some really, really cool technology yeah. and some really hot propellant. Soviets uh, were shaking in their boots with the. They were Star Wars. They were. Yeah. And um, but anyway, I've always been a writer. I've always been, I've always written stories in, on, on the side. It's just something, it's like tinkering with a car. You know, mm -hmm. I would, I would write stories and, you know, I was, 
the explosives business led to the hazardous waste business, which led to a consulting business. And all the time I was, I was writing. And finally on my fourth book, the first three were just, you know, practice novels. I enjoyed doing them, but I never thought they were any good. And my uh, fourth book was called Nathan's Run, uh, wrote it in 94, came out in 96. And it was a worldwide bestseller. I mean, it was. What was that about? That was about a 12 year old boy, uh, Nathan Bailey, who kills a juvenile detention center guard mm. um, while incarcerated and runs away. And he becomes the the, the focus of this. Well, it's not nationwide. It was in Virginia. So a regional uh, manhunt because he's a cop killer. You know, he, he killed a guard. Yeah. And people are calling for his head and he sort of becomes the media runs with it and, and he becomes this really evil kid. What nobody knows is that he killed in self-defense and he ends up uh, calling into a radio show. The Denise Carpenter is the name of the character. She calls herself the bitch. That's her radio name, the bitch <laughs> nice. of Washington, D.C. And <laughs> she's a lot syndicated. Of those. <laughs> and, and he calls in and tells his side of the story. And then suddenly it, things change. So that's that's. That was the first thriller, and Sounds it was pretty translated good. into twenty-three languages, and it would, it would, and so suddenly, um, and not to be, you know, it, the paycheck was really good for that, and uh, so then it sort of made sense to be a writer. Yeah, you're like, hey, this actually can pay some bills. I might want to yeah. write another one of these things, huh? So here I am, twenty-four books later. So did uh, did so. You're a child of the 70s, 80s? Uh, well, 60, late 60s, 70s. Late 60s, 70s. Um, I'm, I was born in 71, so I'm you know, 70s, 80s. Did you ever watch the movie Logan's Run? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah? Did that? Did there's that, nothing like that. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing like that. It was Nathan, when, every time I was reading about it, I was like, Nathan's Run. I, Logan's Run immediately came to mind every time I... I was thinking about well, that. When it came out, I, I took heat for um, Logan's Run and is it about a hot dog stand? Because Nathan's Hot Dogs was a really big deal. Oh, then. my gosh. So. <laughs> uh, but you actually had a, a movie option on that book. Is that right? I did. Actually, we sold it outright to um, in a bidding war between – started with seven studios and came down to Disney, Fox, and Warner Brothers. And um, that closed about – 10 o'clock at night on March 1st, 1995 with this wild three-part conference call between my film agent, which I didn't even know I had, and my <laughs> literary agent and 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 us, my wife and I sharing a, a phone. Like, mm. there, there are like eight extensions in that. That extensions. one you just got rid of? Yeah. <laughs> extensions were when phones plugged into the wall, right? Because we didn't have the cell phone stuff. The so landline. Do, that's right. Um, I didn't even know if he called it that because it wasn't an alternative. Uh-uh. It was just, it was it was just, just the phone. phone. It was just the yeah. phone then. That's all we so, had. So that went, and um, and then the next book was at all costs and sold the movie rights for that too. And it was – so it was a um, – So have they made it, a, a Nathan's Run? Absolutely not. Um, I have been involved with seven film projects. Actually, I'm working on an eighth film project. Um, hopefully the eighth one will work, but the other seven will – it, it, I, it pays well, but it doesn't yeah. mean you ever actually see anything on the screen. So, so for a studio to to come hot and heavy after that, and then not make a movie, have they made anything similar to it, or that, no, that you're aware really. of? No, 
Nothing that you're nope. aware of. Because it sounds like what that happens, would make a great what movie. What happens is Hollywood doesn't, there's one person in Hollywood that reads a book and then they write what's called coverage. So it, it's a junior staffer, a 20 something um, who will read the book and then boil it down for the producers with a recommendation, should we go for it or not? And in the 90s, Hollywood was throwing stupid money at, at book projects. Everybody had a uh, had a production deal. Every star had a production deal. So the, yeah. the appetite for material was huge. So um, they they buy the book, but then you have to have a screenwriter who writes the script that's based on the book. And the screenwriters that they chose for, for mine, I, 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 just, I just don't think they were very good. I mean, the, the mm. places where they changed the script made took all the heart out of the story. Now, it's my story. So, of course, I have my, my opinions are probably not the clearest. But by the time it was done, the people who at the senior levels never read the book. They just read the script. And if they don't like the script, then they put it on the shelf and they got so much money to spend. It doesn't matter. Right. Now, is there a way to resuscitate that and and bring it back to life? Or is that just that's shelved and never see the light of day again? It's what's it's in what's called turnaround. So if there are movie producers out there. Um, yeah. It, it, yes. I mean, you can buy it away from uh, Warner Brothers, but they've got a couple million dollars stacked against it now or more. Yeah. Um, so before you do anything, you have to pay an obscene amount of money just to get, to get the, the rights, rights back. to it. And Hollywood being what it is, if, if, if a big name producer, you know, if a Spielberg, you know, some big name uh, producer yeah. or director took an interest in it, <clears throat> they might. James Gunn. Warners might not let go of it. Because it's humiliating for a, if another studio makes a hit out of a movie they chose not to make. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of moving parts in in, in Hollywood. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just it kind of sucks for you because you know that's your baby, and I'm mm -hmm. sure I'm sure you would love to see it, you know, on the screen. And you know, the, as gangbusters as Netflix is and you know all these streaming services now i think there's probably been a revitalization of that you know just buying up books and movie rights and you know things like that to fill the content especially after this pandemic crap you know there's a big right. gap big void there uh where they weren't filming for a lot of the the time there i would like to I, see i would like to see it come back to life because it sounds like it'd be a really good it, like a Netflix series, that'd be like a good Netflix series. They could do a your your lips to God's ear. You know, I have hope. That my Jonathan Grave series, which I I think I'm on my fifteenth book in, in that. It's about a freelance hostage rescue specialist, a, a, a former Delta operator, who has this. It's really about the. Well, he he blows things up and and you know <laughs> makes big holes in the world to uh -huh. to do what he's doing, but always for the forces of good. Yeah, you know, he's like he's this guy has a very strong moral compass. And when he agrees that he's going to rescue uh, a good guy from a bad guy, he's he's going to do it. The guy's coming home. Yeah. Um. He might he might be in a bag, but he's coming home, and that that's his sole mission. And of course, there's he's often asked to do things by the government the government can't actually do. He's best friends with the director of the FBI, a lady named Irene Rivers. Um. Uh, so that's that's a really fun series. Is she hot? I think. Oh, uh, he thinks she is. <laughs> I've never actually seen her. <laughs> so a a freelance hostage rescue specialist is that a is that a real thing? Do those exist? Um, 
I am aware of some who do. I don't know that that's an actual job title. Yeah. But sure, there there are um, freelancers that um, who is the um, Ross Perot uh-huh. back in the day um, uh, sent to, with was it to Iran? It was a long time. It was before my political awareness. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, there there are folks who will send their teams in to to save people. Oh, it just happened in Afghanistan. Yeah. You know, when we when we abandoned all those people and we had individuals going in yeah. on cover of night. So that is that's kind of the So more along the, that that type stuff. Yeah. So I was yeah. I'm familiar with the Ross Perot. Um so these rich guys put together these teams to go in and and do these specialized missions to bring home whatever. Maybe right. it's one of their employees or maybe it's it's whatever. But you've got fifteen books. In the uh, Jonathan Grave series already. Yes. Well, I'm writing number 15 now. So 13 are out. The 14th called Lethal Game comes out in June. Okay. And and I'm writing number 15. And I'm I don't know what it's about yet, but by God, I'm writing it. So so and, and you know and I know that a character you know literary character is is your bread and butter. And is he aging through these? Is he, no. is he so he's it's like. A certain span of like ten years of his life, or something like that, or no, it it's and it's not really a series. It's a it, they're standalone books with a recurring character. Yeah, if that if that makes sense. No, I think it's yeah, kind of like uh, James Bond. Yeah, kind of because his and, books are they're all standalone, basically. Right, and you know Tony Darmond has been president of the United States in my series since two thousand nine. Um, it, it's just it's cleaner that way, and it also allows me to to tackle. I don't write politics; that's not what I do. But there are yeah. there are social issues and such that that make any book interesting, right? And if I if I keep the political class locked, then I think it's easier reading for everybody, whoever whoever feel bruised, right. If the ideology if, stays the same throughout the exactly the exactly, book. and it's always incompetent. You know, the, the Washington right. establishment under Tony Darman administration, we know that he's he's weak and he's incompetent. And if he wasn't, then Jonathan wouldn't have as much to do. Right. From my perspective. Yeah. Right? So, so I think it's it's easier for me just to lock the the character down in age. And I've never mentioned how old he is. I've yeah. never said what he looks like. Really, you never described yeah. him. And I and I hear from fans, everybody wants to cast the movie. Oh, of course. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah, it's like yeah. I want to see this on the screen, and I'm seeing Chris Pratt or you know whoever playing this part. It, yep, and and Bradley Cooper's a big one. And someone Bruce Willis, I think, is a little past his door yeah, kicking. Son. Yeah, but um, he's had his time. What's interesting is that the readers bring the visual themselves. So. I don't want to get in the way. So I think it's, it's silly. We know That's that Jonathan smart. is Jonathan grave is, he's a really moral guy. He's an ethical guy. He's a lethal guy. Um, he's funny. Um, he has a big heart. He loves dogs. <laughs> um, you know, so, and he's also a speaking of, didn't you just get a new puppy? I did get a new puppy. Her name is Kimber. Kimber. And, and, and yeah. Oh, come on. Couldn't you come up with a better name than Kimber? <laughs> that's so well, gucci I, it's it's my wife's dog technically although i guess i've i've pretty much fallen in love uh we're getting a lab and, and kimber is a little bitty thing yeah. um she'll maybe be 14 pounds some kind of spaniel breed 
It's a King Charles uh, Spaniel with a Boston Terrier. It's called okay. a Caviston. And just she's, she's delightful. Uh, oh, yeah. But she will have a sister from an entirely different set of parents. that will be a Labrador retriever named uh. Ruger that will come and join us. In oh my gosh. June. We got to work with you on your names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. Caltech just loved the product. <laughs> it's just not a great name. It's just not a great name. Well, you could go Kelgren. Kelgren's a good name. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you, you could use the actual name, Kelgren, but uh, you're just Gucci with the Kimber and the, uh, yeah, the Ruger. Well, you're just going Gucci. That's okay. That's okay. So and here's the thing. It's not, I'm not a 1911 platform guy. I just, I'm not, I'm a striker fire guy, Yeah. but, but Joy, my wife wanted, what's a good girl name for him? I'm just digging this deeper and deeper. Dude, it's a, it, no, it's a good name. I'm just busting your chops. I just, I'm, I like all guns, you know, I like anything that goes boom. Uh, I'm not a, uh, a, a racist when it comes to guns <laughs> or sexist, however they're, they're classified. I don't know. A gunnist. So, I'm not a gunnist. Yeah, yes. exactly. So back to uh, Jonathan Grave. So um, kind of talk about the progression that he's taken in these. Uh, you're 13, you're 14, getting ready to come out, and then you're mm -hmm. working on 15. Um, but do you do one a year with him? Yeah, that, yeah, every summer. Every summer you drop one? Very mm -hmm. nice. So uh, talk about the progression of the character from the first to where he is now. Well, to be honest with you, Jonathan doesn't progress a lot. Jonathan is the, the stories are as much about the person or the people, the couple, the family, it's been all over the board that he's rescuing as it is about he and his team. Yeah. So they are the planners and executors of, of the rescues. Um, he's got this big lethal friend called boxers who I think he's my alter ego. You know, if I were, if I were, Six eleven and 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 lethal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so Jonathan and his team are are very focused on on each of the missions and playing with the cool toys and you know all of that. That's uh, that's why I've missed the shot show these last couple of years because that, that's where all the cool toys come from. The ideas mm -hmm. and uh, but it's it's the people who are in harm's way that is, is really where they have a complete story arc in, in every book. Jonathan really doesn't progress all that much as yeah. a character. He, he falls in and out of love with one of his coworkers, Gail Bonneville. Uh, love is too strong a word cause I'm not sure Jonathan knows what that is, but um, we know that in the first book called no mercy, he, he lost his, uh, okay. I'll give it away. Um, he lost his wife to, to bad guys. Uh, is that kind of the catalyst that got him sparked on his his mission, his path? Well, he's a he's a former Delta operator. Okay. And so so he's been a, a door kicker for a long time. And he separated early. After 17 years, he separated from the Army almost to, to retirement. Uh, for reasons that I know, but I've never had an, an opportunity to put it into a book. So at, at some point, That's it'll coming. become clear why, yeah. why he did that. Nice. So it's just what he does. And he's very wealthy. His dad was a career criminal and uh, <laughs> is serving a, a life sentence, but left him with more money than he knows how to spend. So he sold his childhood mansion to St. Catherine's Church for a dollar on the condition that the mansion be turned into a place called Resurrection House, which is the residential school for the children of incarcerated parents. 
And wow. Jonathan supports that out of his own par- out of his own pocket, which by the way, I think that would be a really cool school <laughs> to have. Oh, absolutely. You know, children of incar- incarcerated parents. Is that does one of those not e- exist? Not to my knowledge. I mean, if, if it exists, I'm I'm not aware of it. Um, That's something you could start. Well, I I That'd be a great after one of those movies is made, maybe. <laughs> John Gilstrap Foundation. Yeah, there we go. That would be awesome. I'd be behind it definitely. Um, oh, it definitely sounds like a, an interesting character and different from from other characters from other uh, authors that I've read. You know, where I had Stephen Hunter on um, a few episodes ago. Uh, and, you know, we were talking about his character, the the Bob Lee Swagger character. And, mm-hmm. you know, of course, in those, I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, but oh yeah, he's, he, he's, he gets older, you know. Right. So it's kind of a progression, you know, kind of one after the other kind of thing. So I think he's in his like 60s or 70s now in this, in his latest um, novel. But, you know, eventually he's going to have to, you know, move on. And <laughs> Well, Steve but, Hunter has also done a series of books on, Earl Swagger, I think, Bob Lee's father. Well, yeah, and that, yeah. So he's kind of gone back uh, into into yep. history to to do some stories on that. Yeah, yeah. Steve Steve Hunter is important to me. I should say this only he was the first guy when I when I had written Nathan's Run back in the nineties. He had just come out with um, oh the first point of Bob Lee's yeah point of point impact. of impact yeah and. Uh, he was working for the Baltimore Sun. I was living in Woodbridge, Virginia. Not that that matters. And I, so I had this pile of pages, a manuscript that I I thought was pretty good. And I knew that he worked at the Sun. And I knew that, so I called him, and he, you know he answers his phone at work. And so we talked. It said, "I I know you're a published author, right? I love your books. What should I do?" And he said, "I think the first words he said to me is, please don't ask me to read your manuscript.'" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, I promise I won't. I won't. So, so he gave me some pointers on, on what the next steps would be. And then fast forward, I don't know, six months or so when I sold the, the book, I called him back and I said, remember me? You, you talked about it. I said, yeah. I said, well, I sold the book and he laughed and he said, you know, that's never happened. I've had these conversations many times, but that's never happened. So Steve and I have remained close over, over the years. Um, haven't talked to him, well, COVID, right? So two, two and a yeah. half years. Yeah, he was a he was an interesting cat. I enjoyed having him on. He's uh, a big personality. He is. He definitely is. And and again, he's a pro two A. Um, <laughs> yes, he is. Character as and, well. So. And he's really good. I mean, he's he's an outstanding shot. Is he? So he he yeah. can he can actually shoot pretty good. He was mm-hmm. being a little modest uh, during the during our interview with him. So, but we're going to talk about your uh, affinity with firearms as well. But we want to. I was. I want to learn more about your. Your character, so I, I'm definitely intrigued with uh, the Jonathan Grave uh, character. So I've got to uh, start reading those. But you've got another one that you started, and what are you two or three into this this series with the the uh, Ver- Victoria Emerson? Yeah, Victoria Emerson, Blue Fire. I happen to have actually this isn't even the book. I, I'm in the process of moving, yeah. um, so all of the actual books are in a box someplace. Uh, but this is what's called an advanced reader's copy. But that's that's what the thing that's what the book looks like. Yeah. Um, Victoria Emerson. It, it is post-apocalyptic. the The premise of the book, it, it, Blue Fire, is a second. Crimson Phoenix came out last year, and that's that's the first. Okay. There again, they're kind of. This is a continuing story, um, but it succeeds as a standalone. If you don't want to start at, at the first. Uh, 
But in Crimson Phoenix, the 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 start of all of this is that um, Israel is planning a nuclear strike against Iran's nuclear launch facility. So they just That's, had enough. Israel's it, had, enough. had enough. Yeah, because you know Israel, it, Iran keeps making all the the ugly noises that they're going to launch, so they decided to do this this preemptive strike, and. <laughs> Because the United States has to be involved, you know, we're not doing the shooting, but we're certainly involved. Ukraine. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> Israel and Iran. <laughs> it just happens to resonate right now. Yeah. And so they activate the the um, uh, the pro- program is called Crimson Phoenix, which is the evacuation of the government to a bunker uh, in West Virginia. Which is based on the real bunker that existed until Washington Post broke the story yeah. in 1994, 95. Ruined it for uh, everybody. Yeah. The U.S. government relocation facility is what it's officially called. And in this book, it's called that, but it's also called the Annex. So Victoria is evacuated. I mean, she's taken by uh, Army Major and, a, and First Sergeant uh, to I – mean, you can. we'll carry you or you can walk – but you're leaving now, right? right? So they spirit her off to this bunker and she brings her kids because she's a single mom. And when she gets to the bunker, she learns she can't bring the kids in, uh, which is also true from the old plan. Uh, you could, the, the the member of the House of the Senate could bring one staff member, but no family. Hmm. So she says, screw this and decides that, you know, if, Nobody thinks it's going to actually be a hot war because it's going to be a quick strike. And in the moments before, the president's going to call the various powers and say, hey, don't panic. But a blogger um, <laughs> leaks the story, gets a hold of it. And Jack kind of wagon. connects the ducks. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Jack wagon. And the story leaks and Iran launches, excuse me. Yeah, Iran launches first. And then that just starts the, the big exchange. So when it's all done, it's there's there's nothing left it's and world war world war it lasts about eight hours and is done and um because Wait. it is nuclear oh okay so eight hours you well you know we got subs parked off the flight time of ballistic missiles now submarine launched missiles from launch to impact pretty much anywhere in the united states is eight minutes and the the target packages assuming that this hasn't changed since I've been, I don't think there's anything secret in this. The target packages are all of the launch facilities of the other team's sure. countries. Yeah. So in order, once, once the, the Russians launch in this case, because they're protecting themselves, once they launch, we have to launch because if we don't launch the launch facility, our launch facilities will be destroyed and we won't have that opportunity. Right. So, all this, all this happened. It doesn't take long well, until everything's true. broken. And it's not going to take long for us to kill ourselves. Right. But, you know, under the, in the fictional world I've created, yeah. uh, while billions of people are killed, uh, we think, because it's all from Victoria's limited point of view, we don't know what she yeah. doesn't, if, if she doesn't know it, we don't know it. Yeah. She's uh, in a bunker. Yeah. Well, no, she doesn't. She walks away. She oh, said, she didn't go to the whatever. bunker. But no, she doesn't go in. Whatever happens, she said, you know, I'll do I'm going to be with my kids. I, I quit. I'm, I'm not a member of the house anymore. And she walks away and she ends up surviving the attacks. Um, and it, it, the, the books are about rebuilding society 
where people are feral. You know, it doesn't take long. Look how people were shooting each other over toilet paper. Oh, my gosh. A yeah. couple of years ago. Imagine if it's was, baby formula or diabetes medication. Look at right? what's coming, though, with, with the price of everything going up right now. Gas is, what, five bucks a gallon now? Yeah. And because yeah. it's four bucks here, and I know we're like the cheapest anywhere in the in the country usually. So it's got to be like five, six bucks in California and places like that right now. I just think it's a shame that North America doesn't have any oil resources that we could tap into. To, if uh, only. To if, save this. Yeah. If only we had. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. That's why we have to turn the spigot back on. Yeah. That's it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wait, we were doing that. Oh, okay. Uh, ridiculous. Uh, we'll get your, your thoughts on that maybe here in a little bit. Because we try to keep politics out of the show. We try to keep it mm -hmm. fun. But sometimes it rears its ugly head and... We need to we need to talk about it from time to time, um, but I'm really digging uh, the premises of your books here. So, the um, the Jonathan Grave, you know, kind of a the the former special forces kind of guy that's on a mission to to right wrong, and then Victoria Emerson, the post apocalyptic rebuilding, surviving kind of a prepper. Prepper's kind of right, book. Well, it's in the research that I've done, and I, I I don't think the word prepper is often used. I don't think you did it this way, but prepper is often used as a pejorative. Sure. We, we, we think ill of, of it, preppers, and I, I, and I kind of am. And one. I get that a lot on this show, too, and I try to, to use it in the, the proper context so that people, so it won't go away. You know how, how, how people turn words into things that, they aren't really meant to be right. You know, one person will use it wrong and then it goes viral, you know, and then now you can't use that word anymore. So right. I'm with you on, on your mentality, just like you post apocalyptic, you know, you kind of, mm -hmm. people get a different image of that, that don't really know what it means. So, but what I get into in these books, <clears throat> the, the, the prepper community and the prepper mindset mm -hmm. is just that it's about preparation so that my family is protected. I've got, I've got, depending on how deep into the rabbit hole you want to go, you know, you, you have supplies to last however long you need to, to last. Uh, but what I get into is the next step, because sooner or later, society, we're social animals, and sooner or later, society has to start putting itself back together again. And, you know, if you have on day one is the attack, you got 12, 13 year old kids come day 30, they're not going to fit into their clothes anymore. Right. So yeah. now what do you do? How do you when people get together, there's no electricity, which means for most communities, there's no running water. Um, there's there's no technology because of the electromagnetic pulse. communications down. Yeah. Yeah. And in the bunker, the presidential bunker, the, the, the congressional bunker, they've got all the best communications in the world. But who's going to hear them? Right. I mean, yeah. there's nobody else has every, it. Yeah. Everything's fried. So this is where the, the Victoria books really deal with not only protecting the community and, and protecting what they have, but also you have to integrate in new people as they come in. you got a lot of suffering folks who don't have anything who need something. And Victoria is, is sort of the unelected, unofficial. She's the outsider that people happen to trust. You know, yeah. she's that natural leader. And um, 
you go to work, you know, you arrive and, and you get sustenance for a week. And then there's a mechanism that where they can earn money, which is actually ammunition in, in the books with which they can buy stuff to keep them warm or to feed themselves or, or whatever. So it's right. kind of a, uh, it's, it's about rebuilding society while a lot of bad guys are trying to take stuff and hurt people. Yeah. I'm not going to say it, but <laughs> I say it reminds me of something else that's been on TV for a while. But uh, it, it, the fact that you took a female character, being a male writer, what was what was your thinking in doing that? It it wasn't a uh, it was the character that appeared in my head. Yeah. It wasn't an engineered decision. I knew that for the story to work. There had to be a reason for the character, male or female, not to go in. And being a, a single mom, it just it it made sense to me. Yeah, and it, it's I get that oh. question a lot, but it's well, I, I hate not, to be. I, I'm not the kind of that guy. who plans out a lot of that kind of stuff. It's just yeah, that's the, the character that appeared. And well, the reason uh, I ask is I was having a conversation with uh, someone uh, just a few days ago, and you know we were talking about all these. You know the Tom Clancy characters, the uh, Brad Thor characters, the uh, Jack Carr characters, the uh, Kyle Mills. Um, you know they're all they're all male, strong, former you know military go get it kind of kind of deals. And I was like, you know, I haven't really seen anybody do a female character. You know, and I don't know if that's something I'm missing or I want to want to see, but. I guarantee you there's a market for it. You know, I guarantee you there's somebody, and especially the female readers. And I think you're, you know, with this Victoria Emerson, you're kind of, you're kind of doing that. Uh, well, I hope so. And, and I hope, starting something. I, I hope to attract uh, different, the, all kinds of new readers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. What's really interesting, and actually we're sort of, um, the, the next book in that series is called White Smoke, that I'm also writing right now. And I see it as a trilogy. I sold the, my, my publisher bought this as, as a trilogy mm -hmm. and there may be more, but a lot will depend on whether or not addressing your very question or your very point. We, I don't have any data to show me do, do the Jonathan Grave fans follow to Victoria Emerson yeah. or vice versa? Or is it just like two, like the, obviously there's going to be a Venn diagram of, of intersection, but I have no idea how big that intersecting yeah. Uh, oval is. Yeah. I don't know how you attract that either. Well, it'll or show up in sales and polls. The marketing department will do surveys and such. Yeah. And who's your publisher? Kensington Books out of New York. Kensington. Okay. Right. They are the largest in, I've heard of independently them. owned, privately, I don't know what the right thing, um, publisher, in, certainly in the United States. Privately held. Yeah. They're not and a it's family stock owned. market traded and, kind of deal. No, and they 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 love books, and they've been very very good to me. Well, there you go, good. Now, other than these two, so you've written other books uh, as well. Talk about the other other books that you've written. You've written uh, a nonfiction as well. I did. I wrote a book called Six Minutes to Freedom, um, which is about the rescue of Kurt Muse. In fact, you can you can see right here the bottom of the commemorative photograph or a painting that was. Can done. you move your camera? Up? Let's see, can I do that? Oh, okay. there you go. Very yeah. nice. So in during the um, the final days of the Noriega regime, 
a fellow named Kurt Muse, an American citizen, raised on the Panamanian economy. His dad owned a business in, in Panama City. And when he was in his 30s and Noriega was rising to power, killing a lot of Kurt's friends in the process, Kurt and a bunch of his Rotarian buddies, the Panama City Rotary Club, got together with Radio Shack equipment, not literally, but the over-the-counter type uh, radio equipment, and they were able to override uh, Panama's main uh, broadcasting beam, the, the repeater beam. Yeah. And they broadcast a throw-the-bum-out kind of message. And uh, they got a little carried away. They were not, this was just citizens doing their thing, saying, you know, exercise your right to vote and don't let them beat you up that way, whatever the, the message was. So Kurt and his group became public enemy number one, and he was ultimately betrayed and arrested and was sent to Modelo Prison, which is a god-awful place. And um, while he was there, he found a way to communicate to the military, because you had the Panama Canal Zone, you have all that stuff that's going on. Uh, so anyway, Kurt ended up being rescued by Delta Force in the opening moments of uh, Operation Just Cause. And the uh, literally, the first shots that were fired were in support of his rescue. And um, there, I mean, it's it a great story. And meanwhile, yeah. his, his, his kids, uh, Kimberly, I think, was 15 and Eric was 12. They had to evacuate because when dad was arrested, he was arrested at the airport and the word went out to the kids that they have to run because the PDF, Panamanian Defense Force, was going to come and get them. So they fled the country by themselves, two kids. And uh, and then ultimately, you know, it's, it's so it was a really fun. It was a fun book to write and involved a lot of research. Yeah. Has there been any yeah. kind of documentary or movie done about that? There have been a number of documentaries about Operation Acid Gambit, which was the actual rescue of Kurt from Modelo. Yeah. But this is the only uh, book that is, has talked about the uh, the whole story. And it is, I I think it's still in development somewhere as, as a film uh, that's been under option for, God, it's like an annuity. It's been under option <laughs> for 10, 12 years, 16 years. It's been under option for 16 years. Now, do they so, pay you to keep it that way? Yeah. Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. So each year so, they up, they re, they renew. Well, every every three years. Every three a, years they up renew it. Yeah, yeah. Just so, keep thinking about it, guys. Yeah. <laughs> keep on thinking about it. What was the name so, of that book? That was called Six Minutes to Freedom. Okay, it's this one right here. So I've got my screen up yep. right now. Uh, oh, I see it. Yeah, Six Minutes to Freedom. Um, yeah, that that's a good one too. And you've got audio. You do audio books as well. All of the. I don't think that one is an audio, but all of the others are. All of okay. the all the novels are in audio. Do you have the and same e person that that does all your audio work, or do you have different people do the? I go. I guess with uh, of course with Victoria, you would want a female to do that one. Right, and that and both of those have been. How do I put the? I, I don't. I don't listen to my books. I, I'm so tired of a book by the time I'm done with it. You know, <laughs> yeah. the thought of. So like I don't listen to my to podcast. It. Yeah. Exactly. But the um, all of the grave books are narrated by Basil Sands, who's uh, he's a good friend of mine. Okay. I had no, nothing to do. I met him be after he had been hired, and um, and I have nothing to do with those selections. And yeah. the lady who reads the the Jonathan books, I know it's I know it's the same reader, but unfortunately, I I, I don't know the okay. name. That yeah. sounds terrible. I don't mean to 
No, and that and that's fine. It just it depends on the reader on whether I can get into an audible book or not mm-hmm. on who who's actually reading it. And there's been some that I just audible wise I couldn't do it, but I read it and you know it was a lot better for me to read. And I just don't. I hate. You know how you you do voices in your head when you're reading. Mm-hmm. I just don't like my voices. <laughs> I don't think I do good voices. So I'd rather somebody else read it uh, to me. But uh, yeah, I definitely want to check out your books. That's and I'm seeing other ones here too. There's you've done a whole slew of of other. There books. were four. Uh, Scott Free was God. When did I write that? Ninety nine. Two thousand three. Two thousand three. Okay. Oh, there it is. Um, yeah, that's a, about a young man who survives a plane crash in uh, in the mountains of Utah, I believe, somewhere out in the Rockies, and uh, he makes his way through a Metallica concert to a Metallica, right? And and uh, but Scott ends up hooking up with with a guy in a cabin who's a uh, uh, murderer, uh, oh. an assassin. So that sounds that, like that, a good book too. I think so. It, it, it's <laughs> funny. That, that was the book when, as I was writing it, I thought this is so going to be a movie, you know, just because it's visual and all the stuff that was in it. Crickets. I mean, not, yeah. not a sniff. Nobody cared. So, uh, William Goldman, the great screenwriter, his, his, his big quote is in the entertainment business. No one knows anything. And I think that's probably uh, true to listen to how some, some of these movies and TV shows, you know, come to be, you would think, yeah, nobody is like, they just all bumbling idiots and it just comes together, you know, miraculously. So it's amazing to me. I, I have no idea how the Hollywood will works. I don't think they I do don't either. I think they do. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's a business model that couldn't possibly exist anywhere else. Yeah. I, I just don't think there's no model to it. Very good. So you've got coming out, you've got the Victoria Emerson and you've got, did you say you've got a new Jonathan Grave coming? Uh, yeah. The next Jonathan is called um, uh, Lethal Game. That comes out in late June, the mm-hmm. last Tuesday in June. Okay. Is that like every book? It comes out the last Tuesday of every June. Is that what your books just kind of? Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's where I am. So the, you've got to be very organized in in your writing method to be able to hit Boy, these you, these you, deadlines you'd think so wouldn't you but no <laughs> i'm i am a i am a face on fire deadline writer you know i know these things are due a year in advance of when they're due and i will still be writing my fingers blind here writing my fingers bloody three weeks before it's due it's yeah just, it's the way it works well i would say by now though your publicist probably isn't too worried about it you don't get a lot of phone calls and stuff do you pushing you no, and reminding it, you and no and what i will do is i'll get the the occasional email from my editor that says uh my schedule's getting busy i have time to do it can you get your book done two weeks early she doesn't send those anymore because that's just are you kidding me no <laughs> she's like come on <laughs> no absolutely not <laughs> no way wait is there more money involved mm, then yeah. no <laughs> then no <laughs> Very good. So you've got a website. It's John Gilstrap, G-I-L-S-T-R-A-P dot com. So for for our listeners, you can go to his website. Uh, there's an about him. There's a homepage. There's a list of all his books that he's got there. Can they order order them from here? I think there's links by each there, book. There, 
Yeah, there are links that will take you to a buy. I don't sell from the site because it's just a pain to do yeah. that. Yeah, taxes and stuff. So yeah, let somebody else deal with that. Um, but yeah, so you guys can go there. Uh, essays. What's what's the essays all about? People want to have uh, peeks behind the scenes of what the life of a writer is like. And oh, you got it up there. Uh, you know, the first one up there is a time to quit the day job and write full time. So if you go in there, you find out about taxes and but how if if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year writing you probably clear far less than 40 oh geez by the time it's all done and you know if, if that's if that's enough for you that's enough for you if it's not then you might want to continue with the the day yeah. job so do they tax writers different than anybody else what's well, no, but it goes in. Now we're getting into the weeds of things. It depends on how you're structured. For example, for a lot of reasons, um, most of which don't apply anymore. But when I was first starting, having a corporation, John Gilstrap Incorporated wrote the books. I was the president, and I, I was paid a salary. Mm-hmm. Well, because I'm an employee, I have to pay both sides of FICA, which is I. So you know the seven percent that everybody has to pay. But I had to pay the employer side too, so you know, all of a sudden, that's a yeah, that's you get ex- double tax, tax whammy, burden. right? So why wouldn't so. you just go in ten ninety nine? Somebody still got a ten ninety nine. Somebody, yeah. So, um, so it just goes into those. Have the uh, publisher ten ninety nine you? I don't know. I'm not a tax. Don't don't take my advice, yeah. people. Certainly, it, it's it's actually a complicated model there too because you get the agents. The agency that represents me gets involved. Yeah. Um, so these are the. Uh, but you've I have got a YouTube channel too that goes into a lot of these individual things. Like, but oh, okay. You, how does a movie deal work? You know, what's the what's your uh, YouTube channel? Uh, author John Gilstrap, I think. Let me uh, actually. There was a, there was a link there on my website. Okay. Yeah. So he's on YouTube as well. And do you just put these? Hi, I'm John Gilstrap, me... author of the. The writing uh, tips and tricks yeah, on there? Yeah, you can scroll through. I think there's 32 of them. I haven't done yes. one in in too long. Okay. Um, so if any of our listeners are aspiring writers, which you know, I've thought about it, I'll, I'll get these ideas. I'll say, you know what? This would make a great something that maybe somebody else would be interested in. And then I'll, you know, I'll just get the premise, but then it doesn't go any further than that. Do you... Do you do you talk about how to take an idea and turn it into a full blown? Not so much. I, okay. This is less on on the details of craft. I teach seminars. We used to teach, you know, COVID. Um, yeah, I teach seminars on on those things. But okay, uh, yeah. So, any of our listeners interested in being a writer, or you are a writer, uh, it looks like he's got a nice series here on YouTube that will give you some very useful tips. Pitching your book, uh, joining a critique group, is that a good idea? Time to quit the J-job, like you said before. Plowing through, what's muddled muddle? Muddled middle. Muddled, the muddled middle is when you get, you have the great premise and it was great to write it and you know this going to have this really terrific ending and all you have to write is the middle 200 pages. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's kind of me. That's, it's like I've got this great idea, yep. but I don't know how to fill between here and the end. Kind of things. The you know the spoiler to that is keep writing. You know, just work it out. There's no there's no right or wrong. I'm going to write that down and go back and watch that one. 
So yeah, that's an interesting thing. So on uh, YouTube, so you don't go about, you don't talk about any of your books or anything on your YouTube channel. You don't go in. No. And, okay. Well, there's there's the initial credit rule kind of thing, but that's five seconds. I got you. I got you. Uh, and then movies. Uh, Gilstrap hired to adapt true story of heroism. So have you have you been involved with some movies? You done some movies? Well, movie pride, nothing that has ever been on the screen, but um, seven screenplays, screen projects. Okay. okay. And I'm working on an eighth right now. Is that for movies or uh, TV shows? You know, that's a not that's not really a decision I make. You know, if if there's interest, <clears throat> excuse me, in the script that I'm writing, I'm writing. With how are they? Take it to the medium is how they take it. Yeah, I, I, I send it to my agent, and the agent sends it out, and whoever sniffs the bait is um, is where it goes. Yeah, these days, you know, if it's not a superhero uh, or an art house uh, movie, it, it, the features are just not the way to go. Yeah, it's and this limited series stuff. I I, I am completely hooked on Netflix. And, yeah, and Amazon Prime has a number of them too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I am too. There's one that just came out, um, Reacher. Uh, oh, Reacher's great. Reacher. I, I like that. Uh, di- completely different than the movie character. Yes. Other than they, buy, they both get their clothes from <laughs> Goodwill. <laughs> uh, so. But yeah, do you know that author? I can't, who's the author? I do, Lee Child is, is his name. And, uh, okay. and now it's Andrew Child is writing for his brother Lee. Um, but Lee's great guy really yeah very giving um i haven't read one of those series but i've just seen the the netflix and the movies and no they're enjoyable enjoy Mm -hmm. yeah i mean he he kicks ass and and he's jack reacher is smart and he's lethal yeah and he's huge he's like that 611 guy that you're (laughs) talking about exactly in your book uh big big dude uh i thought i read somewhere or saw or heard something that you were involved with with some writing on some TV show or or movie that you did, I guess I misheard. No, I I, I worked. Um, see, I did two movies, or two scripts, not two movies. I did two scripts for Dino De Laurentiis, uh, nominally, I guess, for Universal. Yeah. Um, but then I did a project with um, uh, on the Warner lot. Uh-huh. God, what's Barry Levinson's company? Uh-huh. Uh, Anyway, um, Very that was called that, that was called Young Men in Fire, uh, which was a it was a fun project to work on, and it it nuts. I, I, I'll never work in that town again if I tell the entire story. But it, it, <laughs> well, don't don't do that. <laughs> it, it, it 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 went crazy. It was a very Hollywood kind of experience. Yeah, and I guess you've had a lot of experience with it, with all the you know the options and then coming after uh, after you for some of your your books for movies. So. Uh, it just sounds like it's very fickle. <laughs> just well, it's capricious. This whole business of of you know, I I I make stuff up, and people buy it, and there are a lot of other people who make stuff up, and people don't buy it, and I don't know what the X factor. I like to think that there's an element of talent that counts, but there are yeah. a lot of talented people that that don't have success either, and. In the movie business, there are just so many moving parts and so many. Uh, people. Yeah, and it's not just the writer. Then you get the director and the producer and, and oh, yeah. the actors, and then the it, 
Yeah, it just. But somehow it works. You know, somehow the the, the it works. Come out the other end. Yeah, it works because they let people push them around. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There's there's those those people up top that know how to pull people's strings. I, I don't get it. I want to do this now. I want to go to some of our listener questions because uh, I've been holding back on some of my questions because I, I think some of them are covered on this. So I'm going to go to Instagram. I'm going to pull it up on my phone here. and uh, So we're going to go to Instagram first. This is from uh, Brian Keeney. And Brian is a uh, a huge action thriller novel lover. Uh, he's been on the show a couple of times and co-hosted with me, uh, with Jack Carr and Stephen Hunter and uh, a couple oh, of wow. Um says, I'm assuming by your subject matter that you're a prepper. How have your preps changed between 2019 and today? Um, 2019 and today, I have gone from uh, a suburban environment uh, in Northern Virginia, and on Friday I'm moving to six acres out in the woods in West Virginia <laughs> and the, the freezer is going to be a lot bigger. And, um, there's a, it, it's, a bunker. <laughs> well, kind of actually. Um, but it, it's the philosophy hasn't changed at all, but I, the, the volume, the physical space has changed. Cause I, I think that, um, and, and actually, you know, food preservation is, is, getting better and I, i'm not a big believer in the stocking uh, mres and yeah. all that because all that has a shelf life and it just you know takes up space but you know a lot of a lot of bambi and um assorted are you a hunter uh, um i i am just beginning into that i went on a, a, a pig hunt back in uh october i shot a pig one shot one kill 275 yards very nice it yeah, was, it was I, a hog, uh, wasn't I, it? Then I then I put the gun away and said, "Okay, that's it." No, it's um. Where was this I, at? I Texas, Texas, Paris, Texas, Paris, Texas. Very nice. Yeah, I've done a lot of hog hunting down in down Texas. It's fun. What uh, what rifle did you use? What caliber? I had a Browning X Bolt three hundred eight. Three hundred eight. You did it suppressed? No, no, no. I kind of like the bang, to be honest with you. It's, yeah, it's a. Uh, it wasn't. We weren't hunting at night. Okay. Um, so you weren't using thermals or anything like that? Just, no, no, you don't have to. God, no, you don't have to. No, it's like, it's just fun. Squirrels. It's it just is. fun to go at it night is. and use the thermal and the suppressor. It's I've seen the YouTube videos of the guys in the, in the ATVs, you know, chasing them down and, and shooting them from helicopters and such that it looks like, looks like it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. But this was sitting in a, in a deer blind. Yeah. The day before it was the end of October. It was two days before deer season started. And you'd sit there, deer, and I there. bet we saw 35 deer <laughs> just wandering around. You know, and they give you the finger, they do all kinds oh, of yeah, things. Oh, yeah. Like, eh. <laughs> yeah, the last time I went, it was up in uh, northwest Texas, and uh, it wasn't deer season. And that's all. I, I probably saw 300 deer. I kid you not. I'm not exaggerating during that, during that week and couldn't touch a one of them. And there were some nice ones, too. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, ooh, <laughs> but I'll go ahead and eat it now, you know. <laughs> so, but the getting back to his question, the I've I have shifted gears from the theoretical to the practical. Yeah. Um, 
the new house we're going to have a, a real garden and i've i've never and i've grown things in window boxes and you do the tomato plant in the backyard and that kind of stuff but yeah. i want to actually really grow stuff we're going to have bees um yeah it, it's nice. and really kind of not so much because I expect Armageddon to come, but because I think it's kind of a cool thing to do, and why not? You want to be more self-reliant, self-sufficient mm-hmm. kind of kind of deal, self-sustaining. Plus, I'm you a know? long way from a grocery store. And a garden, you know, that's that's a good way to do that. Now, have you been studying up on your gardening, or uh, what are I you have, doing to prepare fact, for growing a garden? I can't reach it. It's, it's, it's over there. Yeah, I've subscribed to magazines. I'm reading it. There's a lot of... Um, Masterclass is a thing. It's a it's a video program that the um, oh, they that have a made, lot of good stuff on gardening. So the the gardening, the bees. What made made you think of getting into the the bees? Because that's that takes some time. That takes some work. Well, again, it's the the area where I live is there are a lot of um, was apiaries. I think is what they're called um, bee places. Yeah, and. You know, I th- I'm a big su- I'm a big supporter of bees. I, I <laughs> love <think> their honey. <laughs> the, the 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 bee population has had some real problems. Yeah. And apparently, my little slice of West Virginia uh, supports good you know, habitat. Supports that. Yeah. Plus, I get a tax break. Okay, let's be honest. There's there's that. oh there bees, is bees are considered livestock in West Virginia. So yeah. okay. Um, so you're gonna have a bee farm. That's cool. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I, Plus, it could be a good five or six times. Maybe I I was going to say. Plus, it could be a good defensive uh, measure to put in place. You know, kind of a a a barrier. So, next question. Um, This kind of goes along with the the same question. What drew you to the post apocalyptic writing? My favorite movie book topic, by the way. That's uh, AKM Archer asked that. Well. As a child of the 70s, um, I read Alas, Babylon, On the Beach, Failsafe, you know, all of that, the Cold War era apocalyptic stuff. Yeah. Um, I was always drawn to that. Nuclear fallout. And I was never drawn to the monster stuff. It just, I never, I never bought it. Vampires and stuff like that. No. No, and there was there was also that whole the creature from the Black Lagoon. I think that was a lizard that got exposed to radiation or whatever. Whatever. Any other, yeah. I was never drawn to that. Um, in this case, in this specific series, I was visiting the Greenbrier uh, Resort or Hotel and Conference Center, whatever it's called, in White Sulphur Springs, West Virginia, which is where the real government relocation center was, and you can take a tour of the place. <clears throat> and you know, I started talking to these folks, and it just occurred to me that that. The government, well, for, there's a number of things that went through my mind all at once. Um, the government protects itself in a in a blast-proof bunker with all this food and electricity and uh, medical facilities and all of this while their constituents are getting fried and and breathing radioactive crap. And there's, there's something about that that rubbed me wrong. And then when I found out that the expectation was that the members of the House and the Senate, and presumably the executive branch too. I don't, I don't know that. Um, they say goodbye to their to their families and allow them to become dust while you do this really important thing that, in my imagination, is useless because there's nothing for them to do. Congress allocates money to rebuild. 
okay, what does money mean to anybody? Yeah. You know, it's fuel, it's green pieces of paper, but it, it doesn't have any practical value. And who's going to do the rebuilding? Who are you, what, who's going to, who are you going to contract with? And I think I mentioned before, with all the best communications equipment in the world, nobody can hear what you're saying. I mean, right. certainly the, the, the people you represent can't hear it. So I just thought this was the, the, a great idea for a world in which to, to tell a story. Very good. Let's see. I'm going to implement these into it, but I know we're running uh, on time here. I don't want to keep you all day, but uh, I do this series of questions when I have a new person on the show. Okay. Uh, and we call it the new guy. New guy. New guy. And sometimes a girl. Questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so we kind of know a little bit about your your background. Uh, not it's not law enforcement or military, but you do have a first responder. Um, mm-hmm. background uh, and we talked a little bit about that but um, talk about how you got involved with the fire department and the EMT I was working at a summer camp for overprivileged rich kids when through college that was my summer job and on my last day of my last year a uh, little kid and under my control who was supposed to be ran out in the middle of the road and got hit by a car Oh. And he and he got nailed, broken legs, fractured pelvis, ruptured bladder. You know, he, I mean, he was really, really screwed up. And he's and he's okay now. That was quite a few years ago, and he's yeah. okay now. Um, but it was a long recovery, and I was the first one. I mean, you hear this noise, and I and I saw him, and I was the first one on the scene. I had no idea what to do. He was so pale, and he was so, and I, I was I was scared, and I was upset, and I was and I and I. When that was over, I enrolled in an EMT class because I was never going to be unprepared again. And that led to ride-alongs mm-hmm. and um, hospital hospital time, you know, you, the rotations to, to get your, yeah. your certificate. And from there, I started with the fire department and ran exclusively ambulance for a couple of years and then ran my first house fire and I fell in love with that part of it too. So stuck with it for about 15 years, rose to the rank of lieutenant. And, um, it was, that's, that's how I did it. I ended up stopping when I fell through a floor in a fire, found the seat of the fire, (laughs) but, um, didn't get hurt. I should have been killed. Didn't get hurt. Do you fall like a considerable amount of, no, I fell to my armpits. It was a, it was a daycare center at night. Mm There's nobody there, but it was an old house that had been converted to a daycare center. A lot of smoke, a lot of heat, but we couldn't find the fire. And, I, I was stupid and I, I left the wall to try to find the, 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 you don't throw water at smoke. You have to throw water at, at the fire. And I, so I went to find the fire and I got to the middle of the room and the floor went away and I got my arms out and caught myself that way. So uh, I'd be like dangling. Classic. Like, yeah. Classic and, movie falling through the, the floor. But, but here's the thing. We kept our radios in a pocket yeah. over here. So, <laughs> there's no way for me to get to it but if you, if you scream loud enough people will come and pull your ass out of the hole if your tongue was long enough come on yeah <laughs> well you're wearing a mask it would be other otherwise yeah. i so, take it they you got rescued they came and pulled you yeah. through and then we didn't fall the through. We put the fire out and i just got to thinking you know it's, it's volunteer of getting older and um they have responsibilities and was that the deciding yeah. factor to to hang up the 
the, the deciding factor was not that so much as I realized that that changed my my viewpoint. I I started I started thinking about the wrong things and um, tempering you know, as as a young man. Yay! You know you see the fire and you just rush in and yeah. and cock you know, strong. Burned, don't think okay. about it. You got yeah. something cool to talk about. And um, and I just realized that I was I shouldn't be doing this anymore. I, I wasn't as I wasn't as focused on mm. the mission as as I was before. I think I, it it got into my head that I had too much to lose. And at that time, were you were you into the writing? I'd always been in, I've been into writing always since been. I've been able to pick up a pen. But right then, I had finished what was my third unpublished. And I never tried to sell those. And I had the, um, and that actually led, it's kind of a bureaucratic, boring thing, but that led to directly to being appointed to a county commission that exposed me to the juvenile detention center, the conditions of the juvenile detention center in the county where I lived. And that led to Nathan's run and boom. So, you know, every, it's it's weird how everything is kind of linked together. Yeah. Now the... The explosive part of your life was that before the fire MT EMT or after, or was that during the whole? Because you actually volunteered, the, probably doing in both. In the middle, I was my my undergraduate degree is history, and then I ended up getting a graduate degree in safety engineering, which I kind of related to the fire service. I never wanted to be a, a, a paid firefighter; just didn't want to. Yeah. Um, but to be a safety engineer was kind of cool, especially we were just building the Washington Metro state system and all that at the time. And a guy that I met in class um, was working in an explosives plant, a propulsion plant, and um, looking for then a junior engineer. And he hired me, and I did that for eight years, nine years. Now, what does an explosive engineer do? Um, our, my job was to make sure stuff didn't blow up until it was supposed to. Um, okay. <laughs> it's propellant in particular, man, explosives are made like bread in great big mixers, Hobart mixers. Yeah. I mean, they're just, they're just huge. Um, with really, really fine sheer clearances, um, and any form of contamination, any piece of metal, any rock, any, uh, boneheaded move at, at the mix station, yeah. it'll, it'll blow up. And so I had my job dealt with, don't let it blow up. But if we assume it does, then how do we keep the the blast from hurting people? It's okay to lay down trees, but you can't, you can't hurt people. And I was doing this because I I see you've got all your digits. I do. I do. (laughs) That means I'm a a, a good explosives guy. I don't know about your toes, but he's he's got all his fingers. So he he did well. He, He survived it. Uh, did you get the opportunity to test the explosives? Oh, yeah, all the time. It's... And actually, it was also my job to the only legal way to dispose of explosive waste is to burn it. And we had these enormous burn pits out in the this is a 600 acre facility. So out in the back 40, yeah. um, we pile thousands of pounds of this stuff into a pit. And, and my job was to push the button. And uh, it was <laughs> There's, there's no bad day when you blow stuff up. It's, no. It's, just, uh-uh. it's, it's pretty cool. What's uh, what's one of the coolest things you had the opportunity to uh, explode? Well, I don't know if it was cool or if it was terrifying. I had um, 
I accidentally had a 1,500-pound detonation of, of <laughs> a fine aluminum powder and ammonium perchlorate, which we broke windows for miles. Oh, yeah. And, and set the world on fire, which was also my job. I was the head of the um, – in, in charge of the plant fire brigade. That was that was exciting, but I'm not sure it was all that much fun. I laugh about it in retrospect. <laughs> so Tannerite's nothing to you. <laughs> so well, Tannerite's pretty cool. And, you know, the guy – I shouldn't make fun of people who got hurt, but you've seen the, the lawnmower? The guy – Stuffs Tannerite into a lawnmower oh, and I shoots it from like 50 feet away. I uh, think it killed him. I know that it hurt him. Oh, sheesh. Uh, no, I haven't seen the, that. The, that's bad stuff. I mean, Tannerite's not bad. It's fun stuff. I saw one where they had it in a a um, a car, it's like a wrecked piece mm-hmm. of shit car. And they did it. And you see the door come right by the camera. And the guy's just on the right side of the camera. And it goes just to the left side of the camera. Uh, I've seen that one. This stuff's You've no joke. You've seen the one at the, the hog feeder? <laughs> yeah, I've seen. <laughs> Next question from our listeners. How heavy is explosive protection gear? This is from Tongue for Whiston. For T. Whiston. I have never, I've never done the EOD stuff. I'm, I'm not the... Diffuser? Was, we're talking about the, um, what was the movie? The horrible movie. E- it won the Academy Award. Oh, did you think it was horrible? I did. I did. I liked it. It, it was just, it's just, that's not how it works. And um, I've heard that. I've heard that it's not, uh, it wasn't realistic at all. And a lot right. of it was just fabricated crap, but I enjoyed the movie. <laughs> so the one EOD guy, so so the basic answer to the question is, I don't know. Um, yeah. I've, I've never worn it. I've seen it at the SHOT Show and, and stuff, and it, it looks really uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, the one EOD guy I do know who does this for a SWAT team, um, he doesn't wear, he wears a, a like ballistic armor with, with plates, but he doesn't wear anything on his arms and hands because he doesn't want to lose the dexterity. And if, if it's big enough to blow, it, he's going to lose his arms and hands anyway. So yeah. his, his mindset is to, it's better to be able to use your have fine movements in your hands than it is to. You know, I, it, this is not a line of work I would ever do. I. Yeah, it's, it, that's what robots are made for in my world. You know, I just I can't. Well, and, you know, I think those are becoming more and more the thing too, rather than an actual person going and. I, mm-hmm. I, it's killing the Hurt Locker. I had to look it up. Hurt Locker. <laughs> yeah, that's it. The Hurt Locker. Yeah, Jeremy Rainier was in that. All right, next question is, uh, what's your earliest recollection of shooting a gun, firearm? How old were you and what was it? It was a Remington Target Master made in 19... It only made between 1936 and 1939. So it was the, the, the gun my dad got for his 11th birthday, 10th birthday. And we went out shooting this thing... I still have it. It's oh, a sweet. it's a tree trunk and and a hunk of iron. This thing weighs a ton, and it's a single shot bolt action, twenty two. Okay. So you open open the bolt, slide it in, and then you have to pull back the hammer and and shoot it. Yeah, um, I've got one of those. In, yeah. It was an indoor range in Annandale, Virginia. I don't think the, the place exists anymore. Um, so I, it's that's how I learned to aim and shoot, and it's still. 
there's a lot of surface rust on it now because it wasn't stored all that well. Yeah. But I still take it to the range and you can still drive nails at 50 yards with, with that thing. It's, yeah, there you go. I'll get you will some of take, this. I'll get you some of this. You, you can, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. It'll, it'll definitely go in and, and clean it and then it'll protect it too and keep it from getting any more rust. This, talking about the seal one guys. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Very, very good on uh, preventing rust and corrosion. It's good stuff. And I had, <clears throat> I, I just put this thing in storage. I wish I had thought to keep it. Um, the first gun I held, my great-grandfather, Isaac Lincoln Gilstrap, Ooh. was a deputy U.S. marshal in Oklahoma Indian Territory and killed in the line of duty in 1906. And um, I have the, uh, the um, Colt 45 Bisley that was his personal revolver. His service weapon was taken from the body after he, after he was killed. But this is the one that he would carry, according to family lore. But it's got the Bakelite grips that are really, really well-worn, and it's notched, supposedly, for the, the guy he killed. But the Bisley has a curved hammer. How do you spell that, Bisley? I'm sorry, B-I-S-L-E-Y, I think. There it is. Go and, ahead. I'm, I'm going to pull it up while you're talking. Okay. And because of the curved hammer... He would wear it as a as a pocket gun in his back pocket under a great coat. And and he was serving a warrant on a guy named Wattenbarger. And Wattenbarger drew down on him, and my grandfather beat him to it and shot him, killed him. And under the trigger guard, just forward, I'm pointing, it doesn't mean anything to you. But right um come go go straight up, right in there, right on on the on the bottom surface. Mm-hmm. Um he carved a big X and family lore has it. He swore that he would never kill again. I have no idea if any of that story is true, but I, I that's a good story. And it was the, um, it was the first one I held. It was, you did not, you did not touch that gun without dad there. Um, but it was, so you still have it. You have it. Oh, I do. I do. Oh, wow. I, I don't have it to show. Unfortunately, I just literally yesterday, put it into the new house. Did you um, not know you were doing the talking lead podcast? Today? Well, I, you know, I Come just on. didn't, it's, it's got a lot of moving parts <laughs> in my life right now. Um, but it, it's, uh, it, it's pretty cool. I've never shot. That's it. a it's nice powder. Yeah. That's a nice family heirloom there. It is. Now, do you have children? We haven't just talked about that. I have one son. He's 35. Okay. Is he into firearms and shooting? And Oh God. Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's usually, he becomes my, my assistant when I go to the, um, the shot show. So we do the, the whole media day thing. And did you make it to this year's shot show? No, I didn't. And in large part because he, he broke his leg and uh, Ah. we like really badly at at work. So, um, we didn't, this was, this was kind of a shit show year. We all got hit with COVID really bad. My wife went to the hospital with COVID and fully vaxxed by the way. Um, yeah, there you go. Hmm. And hmm, how about that? Hmm. So no, we, we, we couldn't make it this year. And quite honestly, with all the masks and stuff, I'm not wandering around those convention centers. Where yeah. Well, they had, uh, from what I understand, because I didn't go um, this year either, just because I didn't want to deal with all that bull crap, mm-hmm. um, is that there was a lot of nonconformity. So our, our okay. brothers and sisters did well in bucking the system there. But from I what I hear. It. God, it's been two years. Oh, I do too. Yeah, I do too. Now, NRA's coming up. Do you go to the NRA? You know, I never have because I always go to the SHOT Show. When's NRA? Uh, it is May like 21st through the 24th or something like that. 
2022. Let's see. It is, and it's in um, it's in Houston, 27th through the 29th, so the end of May. Okay. Yeah, so oh. we're we're planning on going to that. Um, typically, somebody will host us to put the the studio, and we'll do recordings and stuff from mm-hmm. from Shot Show and NRA. So we're looking for a host. Uh, so if anybody's listening and they want to host us for that, uh, an availability just came up. So get in touch with me, talkingletgmail.com. Um, but I probably will go either way just to, just to walk around and, and check it out. I think you, I think you'd enjoy it. It's, um, it's not as big or as hectic as SHOT Show. Mm-hmm. Um, but you still have, and I don't know if there's probably going to be several people that, that don't go to this too company wise that just, that pulled out a SHOT Show just like uh, they'll probably do here, but. Uh, it's still people bring their newest, latest, and greatest, and sometimes you get stuff that they didn't release at Shot Show at the NRA. Yeah, so cool. I'll look into that actually because it's, it's just been too long. I I so enjoy those things, and frankly, there's a lot of for me a lot of research opportunities talking to people. Um, Jeff Gonzalez, I don't even know him or not. Um, Sounds he's familiar. A, he's a former SEAL. I don't know if a retired seal, I guess. Uh, I've had several seals on the show. Um, maybe that's where I heard of him. Maybe one of them mentioned him or something. But he's really, he's been a lot of help to me in um, like night vision technology and such and mm-hmm. getting, getting information that would be really hard to find outside of that level of expertise. And frankly, it's like fish in a barrel. It, it, everybody who's anybody is there. And if oh, you need yeah. expertise on anything in what I do, yeah. um, I have, to, I'm supposed to look smart or Jonathan. I, I need to make Jonathan grave look like he knows what he's doing. And it's, well, that's kind of great... one of our questions from our listeners. I saw that. Uh, I think it might've been P man three Oh one. How much boots on the ground research do you do in, into one of your, your Jonathan graves or, or the, uh, the Victoria books? Uh, well, do you actually go visit the graves. sites? Um, well, there isn't, Jonathan Grave has never handled a weapon system that I have not handled. Now it could have been at media day at the shot show. Um, but I've also, I was a bad guy for some FDLE Florida department of law enforcement SWAT team training. Um, I was, I was the bad guy, a hostage taker in a school and we were doing, it was a Sims training class. So I, I worked with them as and they, they taught me a lot of their techniques or I observed a lot of their techniques. And then I asked very specific questions. Like if the bad guy did this, how would you handle it? And we'd actually act it out. Um, I've been to the, uh, seal compound in Virginia beach. I've been to HRT headquarters in Quantico. And so I do a lot What's what's nice about writing in the genre that I write the Jonathan Graves stuff and having done it for a long time, I, I sell, I'll knock wood here probably do hell with a microphone, but, um, people will answer, answer my emails and, and I'll get to go and, and play with stuff. So the answer is yeah. a lot of, now, of hands-on research. I understand that you've been to Gunsight in Arizona and I done, have. done some training. I've got an opportunity coming up. It was supposed to be in the end of this month, but they changed it to June. So in June, I'm going to be going up there and doing some defensive pistol, rifle, and shotgun training. I'm looking forward I to did. it. Any tips? Well, <laughs> um, 
the road that leads up, unless they fixed it, it is one of the worst roads on the planet that leads up to the last mile or so to Gunsight Academy. It's like driving on a on a washboard. Um, <laughs> but apparently they do that on purpose. The locals don't want people speeding. But sure. Gunsight Academy itself is amazing. Uh, I took a, a week-long handgun, carbine, and knife course, mm. um, edged weapons. Yeah. Which Steve Tarani uh, taught the, the knives, who's, first of all, he's a really great guy and stupidly good at, at what he does. And that was really interesting. Obviously, we don't fight each other with knives. Um, but we do. We did get to attack pig carcasses that were dressed in various levels of clothing. You know, so we had the winter clothes and the T-shirt and all this. And it's really astonishing how, I guess I always thought stabbing took more effort than it really does. Yeah. And in fact, I, I took a, a swipe, you know, against this pig carcass. And I actually thought I whiffed it. I don't know how I could have done that. But I actually had, in fact, gone through the jacket and the chest cavity oh, wow. into the thoracic cavity. Because it was so sharp. Swipe. Yeah. yeah. And so now Gunsight Academy is terrific. And Paulden, Arizona, I think is where it's located. I, I forget, you know, you're not, there's no Ritz Carlton there. Um, but, and the people, you know, gun people are, are just fun people to be around. Yeah. Right? They're sort of, um, it looks like because it was a, a, a pistol and carving course, you're doing a shotgun course as well. The lobby of the hotel looks like it's a departure <laughs> from some, you know, military outfit, right? Yeah. All, all well, the that's the way, yeah, any of these like events or shows that you go to, like these range day events and, and things like that, right. you go to the hotel and it's just full of gun people and the, all the workers and local are just like looking around like, what the hell? Who are, who are these yahoos? <laughs> Do you ever go to uh, any of those other range days, like a, an Iraq veteran or, a, uh, you know, there's other people that put on range days um, throughout no, the year, the, um, shooting competitions? All, I'm not an Iraq veteran, so that, that would, but. Um, well, that's not, that's just the name of the YouTube channel. He was a veteran. He's like one of the big YouTube guys, and they put on a range day, and, you know, all the gun companies come out, Glock and Celtic and Sig and. Mm -hmm. You know, all those kind of, but it's a smaller, more intimate, you know, kind of thing where it's just media people that come out like other YouTubers, other oh, podcasters okay. and, you know, things like no, that. No, that sounds like a lot of fun. I, I like to score an invitation. One of the coolest things. I know I a guy. Did, okay. I know a guy. Know. All right. Let's do it. I know a guy. Um, about four years ago, I guess, I went to, down to Quantico. The Marine Corps base was the joint Captured Materiel Exploitation Command, which was a, a demonstration of all the shit that they picked up from battlefields that belonged to other armies and yeah. other insurgency groups. So, you know, I shot a PK. I shot. That would be cool. All they had. It was it was very cool. That would be awesome. Yeah. And uh, but however, <clears throat> first time I've ever been to a place that you do pick up every bit of brass that you fire. The last thing that uh, doesn't matter who you are, you're a visiting author, it doesn't matter. You get on your hands and knees with that bucket and you go and you pick up every spent <laughs> shell casing, which I have no problem with at all. Yeah. It's just, I had never seen that before. Unless I'm shooting a minigun, you know, or something like that. Then yeah. <laughs> I'll probably just well, say, I'll oh, pass. Shovel. <laughs> shovel. Magnet. You've seen those big magnets that they have that, yeah. that ranges. That's tough, with, that's tough with brass, but. Yeah. Well, they got those little, uh, those little spiky things that just kind of pick them up. 
But I've seen them do that. Um, oh, I was going to say, I was going to tell you something. Oh, I went to Poland um, a couple of years ago. Got to go to, uh, to Poland to the, um, uh, it's an AK manufacturer there, AK-47 manufacturer. And uh, we got to do tours of these other facilities. Uh, and one was a tank facility where they refurbished old tanks and put new electronics and, you know, furniture and everything like that. And then, you know, I guess they resold them to, to other militaries and, and things like that. But that was, that was really cool. But this one had all this surplus stuff like you're talking about. They had old night vision, like, you know, 60s, 70s type. Oh my God. Stuff that they used Star over. Star scopes and all and that. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was amazing, but they had just crates and crates and crates that you could see for, you know, for thousands of yards of all this stuff. It was like, oh, this is amazing. That was, a, that was a good time. So that was your earliest, the, the Beasley, is that what it's called? Bisley. Bisley. The Bisley. Now has, has your character used the Bisley in one of no. your novels yet? No, I think, um. Single action, six shot, uh, big I know, heavy but, piece of iron. That's not really Jonathan. But it'd be iron. one of those things where it was just an emergency situation, and, and oh, there it was. And yeah. now, yeah, I, I don't know if you're being serious or joking, but the, you touch on a thing that makes my life difficult. Uh-huh. In that, the the Bisley hasn't been made. Well, that I shouldn't. Don't want to go too far out of my over my skis. To my knowledge, they stopped making that like early on, like 1908, 1909, something like that. And they were black powder. Well, you'll blow it apart if you take modern um, 45 long colt and you shoot it, it'll blow the thing apart. It's not made for that. Those those are the gun details that sometimes are not worth researching to find out. And when in fact I could just have him reach for something else. Yeah. Or a bad guy reaches for that and doesn't know that and he puts the bullet in. And uh-huh. your guy knows it. Jonathan knows that it's going to blow up, and he's just standing there like Superman. <laughs> I'm just, I am funning with you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when it comes to pop culture, you know, you're you're a writer. I know you probably don't get into a lot of watching TV and movies and and stuff like that. But you grew up. You know, you were younger once. Um, what was, what was like your go-to like TV show or movie, or maybe it was a book, you know, books and magazines were big in our day. Uh, you know, you get the, you know, you, you said you don't get in, into monsters, but like those Fantasia magazines, you remember those that mm-hmm. had the, I do the monsters and things like comic books, you know, comic books were big when I was growing up and I got in big to, into comic books, got two older brothers. So I got a lot of hand-me-downs of the comic books, you know, and stuff like that, but um, what is your go-to where you just you sit down, you could relax and you could just, you know, watch it as, as a kid or do it. No, just, just now, what would you do? Maybe it's something that, that you did as a kid. Um, well now it's, it's sitting down with an adult beverage and watching a good Netflix series is great. Okay. Um, I look forward to, again, we're in this transitional thing we're in the process of moving. So in this apartment, there's no place to sit and read. And I haven't read a book in seven months Uh and it's making me crazy. So in the new place, it's got a library in it. And I look forward to quiet nights of of just plowing through. And what's that Uh, beverage that you got sitting next to you? um, What's your go-to beverage? This one? 
Oh no, over there. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, just what's your go-to beverage? You said you said I like before, sitting down with a beverage. Before, before dinner, it's a beef eater martini. And in the evenings, it'll be a wee dram of scotch. Ah. Single malt. Lagavulin is my favorite. Very nice. Which is interesting. Jonathan Gray's favorite scotch is Lagavulin. How I how is I've that possible? How is that possible? I've mentioned it, I think, in every book, hoping that at some point the Lagavulin people will be grateful and send me a case of it. But so far, that's Nothing. never happened. Nothing. Well, we need to get them on the show. That's right. And say, oh, by the way, I heard about you guys through uh, Mr. Gilstrap's novels. Are you familiar? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so that is, a, that is a nice beverage of choice. I like that. Now, is that like your... Daily routine or nightly routine is the beef eater before and then the. No, well, the, the beef eater before is fairly routine. The, the redram afterwards is special. Often the step too far. <laughs> so, it's, so you got I got to pace myself. That's the deep relaxation when you. Right. When you hit that. Well, t- tonight is today is Wednesday. So yes. Um, at six o'clock Eastern tonight, I will get together with two writer buddies and we will have a happy hour, which we've had ever since COVID started nice. on, on Wednesday nights. And um, so that'll be... Personally get together or are you guys doing a virtual... Uh, uh, Zoom. A Zoom? It, it used to be, yeah. It used to be personal, but That's obviously. Cool. So you guys just toss around some ideas and things that you're working on or is it just talk personal stuff? You know, you get writers together. The one thing they never talk about is writing. There you go. It just It doesn't come up. Um, unless, well, unless... They're running late on on their their uh, submission, or if a copy editor has gone crazy and starts noticing yeah. stuff that shouldn't. Now, do shouldn't you talk smack about other writers? Oh God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yes. Uh, of course you do. <laughs> we're 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 men, right? Of course we're going to do that. That's right. <laughs> we have some very strong opinions that will never be aired anywhere outside of that uh, Zoom call. Yeah. Now, were you a Magnum PI fan at all? Growing up, I was in college when Magnum PI was was the thing, so yeah. I didn't watch a lot of them. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of um, Blue Bloods. Blue Bloods, you know, the, the, okay. The current the Tom, Selleck. Tom Selleck thing. Haven't watched um, an episode of that. Haven't seen. But it. the what I recall of Magnum, I remember a Ferrari, um, and you know a lot of door kicking and some weird English guy that never made Higgins. Sense to him. Higgins, Higgins and then Higgins. They lived on this uh, estate in Hawaii that was owned by a famous writer. Oh, okay. He's fictional, but right. That's why I was asking: is like, did was that maybe something that led to you wanting to, to become a writer as well? But no, I that answers my books. question. <laughs> I devoured books when I was a kid. I just, um, I think you would like Magnum PI. I think, um, and you can watch it. I think it's on Hulu or something. Right oh, I see it pop up periodically. I don't. IMDb. I, I watch segments of it. It looks yeah. entertaining. Well, there's a new one kinda, out. Kind of campy. There's a oh, it's definitely it's definitely it's 80s, you know, but yeah. it, it's really good. And there's a lot of the literary stuff in there because of the guy Masters, but he narrates his own story throughout it. Magnum does the he's a mm-hmm. private investigator kind of thing, and he self narrates. And he, what is that when you look at the camera? Breaks the third wall. Breaks the fourth wall. Fourth wall or what. He does that a lot uh, in it as well. But I think you might enjoy it. If you ever get an opportunity, you're sitting down with your, you know, your nice beverage, adult beverage there. 
Now, my favorite, my favorite detective story mm-hmm. or series of that era was Rockford Five. I, I thought um, James Gardner was was perfect for that. Yeah, that was a good good series. I remember that. I enjoyed it. Uh, movie wise, what's, okay. what's like your favorite all time movie? <clears throat> my favorite style movie. Uh, no, your just your favorite all time movie. Well, let me do it this way. There are movies that if they come on, I can't turn them off. Okay. So that's perfect. To to do one would be difficult. Apollo 13 is one. Ah, yeah. Love it. Um, Tombstone with Kurt Russell is another. There are so many quotable lines out of out of that. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Crimson, uh, Crimson uh, Phoenix, Crimson, Crimson Tide. The football, the, the football movie, the submarine movie. Submarine movie. Uh, the one with um, Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman. Okay, it's Crimson Tide. Yeah, I think it is. Okay, Crimson um, something, but I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, I, I guess that's the, and there are others. I I love To Kill a Mockingbird, which is is not that's not something you watch over and over again. Yeah. Die Hard, this, the the one with Samuel L. Jackson, <laughs> which I think was <laughs> they're like New plays, York or something. Yeah, and and Samuel L. Jackson is is Zeus. Yeah, the, the um, I just love Samuel L. Jackson. He's just good in everything. Oh, in the John Wick movies, I'm addicted to the. John okay, Wick I think that that as as impossible and over the top as we all know it is, I there's something about that the John Wick world with the with the club. Oh yeah, and, uh, you know, and and the rules of engagement and, and um, the safe and space with the, the hotel and the coins. Yep. Yeah, that that's great. Now I was gonna also ask um, when I was asking you about the gun site, uh, who who else have you trained with, or like cool places have you gone to to get some of your data for your your books? Well, when I was at Gun Site Academy, my pistol instructor was Rob Latham. Doesn't get is, any better than that. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty good. Um, I will never be that good. I just. I will, I will just never be that good. And he's top 1%. And um, who else have I, the, whoever is, oh, the, the lead instructor for the SEAL team combat, the Devru compound in Virginia Beach. I trained with him for a couple hours. Um, the lead instructor for the SWAT team at um, FDLA, FDLE uh, in Florida. I've been very lucky you know, yeah. to to stumble into good pistol instructions. Yeah, well, I just wish I just wish I it it took better. You know, it's <laughs> I am I am fine at you know twelve fifteen yards and um, well, first shots are guaranteed. It's like anything; the more you do it, you know, the better you're going to get at. How often do That's you go right. to the range? You know, I used to go more often than I do now. Yeah, um, COVID. Uh, yeah, but there's at, at the new house. I was going to say I can, sh- I, I can shoot in my backyard if I want to, but there's also is, is Isaac Walton League a thing everywhere? Or is that a is that a Eastern Virginia thing? I'm not familiar with it. Some of our okay. listeners are, I'm sure. It's a there's that's within two miles of my house, and it's it's this gorgeous shooting club. I don't know how many acres they've got. A lot, yeah. uh, but they they've got rifle and pistol and carbine and all that. And so it's it's a membership that's pretty affordable. And, um, so I intend to join that and then it'll become part of my certainly weekly routine. So speaking of that, what is your next 
uh, once you get that next big fat check, or I'm just kidding on that, but it's on your it's on your radar right now. It's like as soon as I get the opportunity, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna buy that. It could be a gun, it could be a piece of kit, it could be vehicle, it could be anything. I want it could be a typewriter. Well, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I've spent too many times on typewriters. Yeah, yeah. I would like an old school coach gun. One of those ah. short barrel double you know, double it, barrel. It, yeah, and I and I and I want it to be hammered, you know. It's yeah. The, it's just something that I would like to add to the. Have you collection. seen those the the pistol ones that they make the? So they're not yes. a sawed off. You know, it's not an SBR and it's not a. It's just a firearm, is what they call it. Mm-hmm. It's it's in that gray area, and I've seen a couple of companies that have you know have that have come out with those. I don't. I like the. I don't know how many guns I have in my collection. I'm not a collector. Of, okay. I know people who are collectors. I'm, yeah. I, you know, it's one of. There's a quote out there that says, "My greatest fear in life is that after I die, my wife will sell my guns for what I told her I paid for them." <laughs> <laughs> and it happens every time. Oh. But um, so you want a stage? You want a stagecoach gun, shotgun? Old, old, yeah. Okay. I I, I think. Um, Maybe a, a, a stag's leg, um, three fifty seven magnum, you know, yeah, uh, lever action, lever action, thing. yeah, yeah, that'd be that might cool. scratch that itch too. That'd it's, be kind of cool. Uh, I've been uh, I've been hooked on the uh, the westerns lately, the and specifically the spaghetti westerns because okay. I used to watch those a lot growing up, and I just for some reason, I guess I saw one on one of these streaming things. I started watching it, and now I've just that's all I watch. Um, in the evenings now is I watch some kind of spaghetti Western and, you know, they've got a lot of those stagecoach guns and the lever actions and, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I've really been enjoying those. So laws be damned, rules be damned, you know, money be damned. What would you own? And I know you just built your, your dream house. So exclude that. Cause you've got that already checked off your, your bucket list there. Not necessarily a firearm. It could be anything. It could be anything. There's no no laws preventing you from it. There's no money preventing you from it. Just your just your morals. I would I would have a plane and a pilot. Okay. To take me wherever I want to go when I want to go there without a mask. We are almost you're (laughs) almost getting that anyway. So yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Get the. uh, the John Gilstrap, geez, you know, Gulfstream. <laughs> there, yeah, yeah. That's, that's again, a couple more movie deals. There's always. Is there a certain type of business? Certain type of plane that you would have, and would you have it kitted out a certain way? I would have it kitted out in luxury. I've I've reached that stage in my life. That, uh-huh. um, I, I like to go from place to place and and do it well. Um, that I I'm not a car guy. I own a Jeep. I love my Jeep. Yeah. Um, wrong with Wrangler kind of basic. Um, and that's fine for me. I'm not a boat guy. In fact, I get seasick. So ah. boats are kind of out. That's um, weird. You don't get, but you don't get sick on a plane. No, I don't. And I, I really don't like heights. I don't <sighs> mind being I hate high heights. like an airplane, but like it, you get to a railing. If I can see, yeah, down as long as I got that thing they got at the grand Canyon, that, 
plexiglass platform or whatever it is that goes out and you can look straight down. Oh, I'd throw up. No way. No (laughs) way I could do that. I'd be crawling. Exactly. (laughs) That tingly feeling at the base of your gut that tells you that this is a bad idea. Yeah, all the hairs. Like, Uh "Mm, no thanks. (laughs) I hate that. Hate heights. So so you would buy a plane. You wouldn't put any like missiles or... uh, 30 cows no, on it or anything like that? 50 cows? Well, maybe that would be on my dune buggy. Okay. I'd have my plane kitted out, too, with some kind of defensive right. defensive thing. So you so you got to put a landing strip in your backyard now for your big your big Gulf Stream. That's a lot of trees have to go down, but yeah, okay. okay. All right. Now, if I can afford one. Hey, you got it. the money. That's yeah, right. You that's got right. the money. There's no laws preventing you from doing it. You'll just make a cabin out of those trees. Screw it. I'll buy an airport. There you go. Now you're it. thinking. Yeah. Now you're thinking. on Other people in the past is I would buy an island, and it would have mini guns all around it, and I would have a shooting range there, and I would have this boat. I could come and go, and I would have a helicopter. And it's like, now they get the question. That's perfect. All right. This will be the last one. Last question. If you could spend the day at the range with anyone, alive, dead, or fictional, or it could be a group of people, who would you like to spend the day at the range with? John Wick. <laughs> John Wick, just like that. Or Keanu Reeves. There you go. Or both. You know, I've heard nothing but nice things about him. I, I don't, I've never met him. I have no idea. But everything I read about him is, is nice, and we've all seen the video of him in his training and he's got wicked skills. So that, yeah. I think that'd be fun. Okay. So you'd have, you'd have Keanu Reeves and John Wick. The same the person. They're interchangeable. Well, they're not because one's a character and one's, so you have the John Wick character there and then you have Keanu Reeves there. Two different people. Okay. John Wick would be more interesting. Okay. Oh, you could have a group of, you have them both. Okay. All right. Yeah. Fine. The, That's what we'll do. Done. I like it. I like it. So that training that he did uh, with Taryn Butler, have you ever been there? I have not. Okay. No. I would think that that would be some place that you might check out and go visit. A man of your stature. Yeah. Given the opportunity, I'll go anywhere. You'll go. <laughs> I, I think. All it takes is an invitation and I'm there. Takes All it takes is an invitation. And, you know, I will, I'll shoot any stupid gun. Um, the, um, I actually own, you haven't asked the question, but it's the stupidest gun I own is a North American arms mini revolver. How did you know that was one of my questions? Is it one of your questions? It is. I just skipped it because I I was just like, ah, he, he don't have a stupid gun because you know, it's, it's this big and (laughs) it it kicks like a a mule, but the fit and finish on those, those guns is so amazing. And, um, but I carry it periodically. It's a good vest gun. Yeah. It's, it's accurate to however far you can point it accurately, right? Well, um, I actually got a laser sight for it. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, I did. So, because there are no, you can't aim, barely fit it in your hand, right? Yeah, so, well, that's for more uh, close range type. It's a belly gun. Yeah, yeah. Poke them in the belly, boom, boom, get out of my way. So you carry that quite often. Now, I understand you're a Glock guy. I am a Glock guy. I am a Glock guy as well. That's That's my preferred firearm. It's not that... You know, I'm just hog heels over Glock. It's just that's the one that fits my mitts the best. It fits my hand. I it the it just it shoots well. It's reliable. You don't have to. You don't. I am a gun cleaner. 
uh, just because I actually enjoy the process of breaking apart and cleaning them. I do too. I know guys, I, I know guys that have never cleaned their Glocks. Gunny was one of those people. The Gunny? Yeah, yeah early Army. Mm-hmm. Never cleaned his. He had thousand, like 5,000 rounds through his, and he's like, never cleaned it once. Still runs great. This is my EDC. It's a Gen 519. I've got a threaded barrel, extended barrel, enforced light on it. I've got these things that I put on here. This is from a company called Arachnagrip. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can see it or not. Um, but it's kind of like sandpaperish. It gives right. you a, okay. yeah. gives you a little better grip on your your slide when you're racking it. And everybody can see I cleared it. It's not loaded. Mm-hmm. So don't anybody send me any mail about it. <laughs> um, which is yours? Which which Glock do you like to carry? The 42, which I bought before the 43 was available. Okay. I kind of wish, wish, wish I had waited. And I also carry a Honor Defense Honor Guard. In, yeah. Um, nine millimeter. Um, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a very big guy. I'm like, you know, five, nine. So the 19 is just too big for me to conceal. It, it doesn't, it doesn't fit me well. Yeah. Um, but do you 42, hip carry or do you, uh, appendix carry? How do you carry? Somewhere it, between two and three o'clock. Okay. And, and unless I'm going to be walking around a lot and then it might slide around to four. Um, but it's, Appendix carry, if it, some guns fit when you're sitting and some guns don't, you know, I don't, I don't like to have that digging feeling in the top of my thigh. Yeah. Well, I was, I used to do the, the 17, but it was too long mm-hmm. and it would jab me in the, in the nad. So I went to the 19 and it, it fits fine. And I, I appendix carry. Okay. Um, um now, when I'm doing training and stuff like that, you know, on the gun, gun belt and doing the rigs and all that, obviously I'm doing it from the side and, you know, different things like that. And- now, I'll tell you something that I have never been trained on. All the training I've done is always from a uh, an outside band exposed holster. Okay. So the whole business of lifting the garment and drawing and firing, you know, I do that with a cert gun or I'll do it dry fire, but I've never actually, and most ranges don't let you do that. Uh, yeah, get upset. So that that whole cycle is something I would be interested in training. I was going to say that is definitely a training course. You need to you need to train the way you carry for right. for EDC. So well, it's always where I carry. It's just not you don't have to cover garment right. You're, but to, but getting to used to that garment and all the ins and outs that can go with you know a vest. You know, wearing a vest that day or a jacket or you know something along those lines. It's you definitely should do that uh, if you get the opportunity. And you're up in uh, West Virginia. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of places that. Uh, oh yeah, there's one. Um, get some training in. Oh God, he's going to kill me for not. Um, Give him a plug. Give him a plug. His... I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Cr Newland is the guy that owns it, and it is. Um, I, you know, as soon as this is over, I'll I'm, look I'm him gonna... up. Cr Newland. Yeah, he's he's the owner of uh, of the range. Echo Valley Training Center. Echo Valley, that's the one. Boom. Yep. There you go. It's it's massive, and you can do. He's got old cars and school buses and shit just parked everywhere. And if if you want to shoot at it, you can shoot at it. He's got a long range rifle course that uh, you can do. The facility itself is used a lot for SWAT training and and that kind of stuff. Um, 
but I go out there and um, my son and I will go out there and, and run through the whole arsenal. It's, it's a great place. So anyway, our listeners that are up in that area, check out CR Newland Echo Valley Train Center. It's a good, good tip from John there. And it's an old school shooting range. You are your own um, RSO. Yeah. It's the individual ranges are set up. So you have the whole, the whole. I like of, those. We've know, got it's, a couple of those around here where I live uh, in Murfreesboro. There's one called Owl Creek or no, OK Corral. It's called OK Corral. And it's one of those where you self-police and, you know, do all that stuff yourself. And you can do the, you know, the, the training mm-hmm. and all that stuff the, on their pistol ranges. Very good. Is there anything else that we need to talk about uh, as far as what's coming up with with you, John? Uh, books? Uh, you got signings coming up that uh, listeners could attend? COVID. You know, so no, there are no... Oh, yeah, we were talking about... Um, I am happy to give away a couple of books. Oh yeah, let's do that. Out, you have to figure out the the mechanics of of what people have to do to to get them. No, um, they they be, they just had autographed the, and everything. Nice. So they posted a question. So let's go to our listener questions here. And this is how we do this is how we do it on this show, and the leadheads know it. These you have to participate. When I do do things and ask for your participation. Uh, and then you have to listen. I don't contact the winners. They have to listen to find out if they won or not. So uh-huh. if they don't listen, then I'm not going to contact them. We'll give it to somebody else. Um, so here we go. Let's go to our 21 comments here. I think that that one, and I think Brian would really enjoy one of your books. Uh, he's, he's the one who asked, uh, I'm assuming by the subject matter, you're a prepper. How have your uh, preps changed between mm-hmm. 2019 and today? I think that was a pretty good question. I agree. And, and I know that he will enjoy the book, and then he will also share it with me when he's done. So <laughs> let's let Brian uh, win one of your books. Which book do you want to give away? Um, Blue Fire. Blue Fire? Okay. Mm-hmm. Very good. So Brian, contact me. Email talkingleadgmail.com. Let me know what you won and what episode it was, and send me your contact info. And then we're going to be also giving away uh, a Letty, one of our Letties. It's not going to be this one in particular, but it's going to have our our logo back here on it. You have our classic logo from our guys over at Dipstick that do our, and we call these Letties, John. They're not they're not Yetis. They're Letties. Ah. Keeps your drink seconds colder than a leddy. The talking, <laughs> the talking leddy. But it's not made from lead. It's safe to drink out. It's well, I'm, <clears throat> I'm not gonna say <laughs> because <laughs> because you know twenty years from now when people they find that these cups are causing people to die, then you drink at your own risk. But you can you can put your favorite beverage in there and it will keep it cold. How about? And here's here's a question. We didn't ask this one. How often do you do book signings? And I guess it's dependent, like you said, on this crazy uh, environment that we're in now. But a lot of people have lifted their COVID restrictions, especially in this this part of the country. And it's not been that way for a long time. When life returns to normal, and hopefully it will in June when the next grave book comes out, <clears throat> what you need to do, anybody needs to do for a book signing is contact your local bookseller. Um 
or reach out to me with the name of your local bookseller. I don't actually bring the books. The bookseller has to bring books in right. um, and to get them involved. And if you give me the uh, john at johngillstrap.com is, is my email address. And I will forward it to my publicist in uh, New York. They'll reach out and, okay. and make that happen if it, if it can be made to happen. There you go. Very good. So Tongue for Twistin' uh, is this guy's Instagram name. So Tongue for Twistin', shoot me an email, talkingletgmail.com, and let me know what you won, which you won one of the letties, and uh, I need your contact info. I need a place to send it. Uh, and we're going to give away, is that any other books? Is that what we're doing there, that one? or are you gonna Yeah, do we'll do Blue Fire again. Okay, we'll do another Blue Fire. How about, were there any of the questions that I asked you that uh, you particularly were fond of? Me? Yeah. I, I've enjoyed the conversation. Oh, I meant from, the, from our listeners. I meant from our listeners. Not mine. Oh. oh <laughs> Not oh, mine. I, I think the, the prepper question and how has it, the, the assumption that I am one and then how has it changed, um, it's intriguing because that's one that's never been asked before. Oh, okay. Well, he won a book, so he, he's right? not going to win two. <laughs> How about uh, AKM Archer? He asked several questions. Uh, he wanted to hear some EMT stories, which we, we told some EMT stories. He also asked about the apocalyptic writing. What drew you to the post-apocalyptic writing? Let's see. He had another. Best story from being a powder monkey. I mean, explosive safety <laughs> expert. <laughs> I think yeah, the accidental detonation of fifteen hundred pounds. We did that. Yeah, that's yeah. We talked about that too. So I, yeah, I think he'd be a good uh, candidate okay. for that book. So, AKM Archer, email me talkingletgmail.com. Tell me what you won, what episode. Need your contact info. Uh, and I just saw this one. This was one posted since we uh, started recording. Here it says, "I've never read one of your books. Looking forward to your interview." What is your biggest grammar pet peeve? Mine is, quotes, me and Lefty instead of Lefty and I. So, Corey Brown asked that. He always like, asks crazy questions. Like is the like. So we like, like went to like down to the store and, and like we did the like buy things like it, it just makes me crazy. Like nails on a. Yep. Yep. Was it? Or Wait a was minute. It? It's similar to what it actually was not what it was like. Okay, just be be specific. Nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> I have several of those uh, pet peeves myself. So yes, like it's it's like this man. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like the coolest thing like ever. It's like the coolest thing ever. And Danny Bronson still asks. Have you had any issues with publishing and advertising being pro-gun? I have not. Um, every now and then, back when we, I would do book events, the, you'd get kind of an anti-Second Amendment person. You know, Actually, it's not, it's not even that. It's just how aren't you concerned that guns kill children? You know, it's that kind of, <laughs> that kind of loaded question. And yeah. then there's so... There's so much that's wrong in the logic that goes to the asking of the question that it's it's really hard to answer. Yeah. Um, but I I go at I usually say something like Do you try so to answer wrong. something like that? I, I never ignore them. You know, yeah. it's it's um, in a public environment, you know, I all eyes are on me. People can ask questions from the back of the audience, but yeah, I'm 
I'm the one that's stuck, which is actually exacerbated by the, I've done a lot of these Zoom events where people are in the audience, but they're not on camera. I'm always on camera. Right. And you'll get some of these off the wall. They get bold. Uh, and politically um, agenda driven type questions. And I either tell them that that's really outside the scope of um, what we're here to talk about. Yeah. Or probably the uh, best way to handle it there. One of them asked me, this was just recently, it was on, it was actually on Crimson Phoenix on the previous Victoria book about um, gender appropriation, a man writing about a, a woman and don't, and, and what kind of efforts do I make about for, for inclusivity and you know, all this? Uh -huh. And I said, I don't write about any of that. I write about people. Yeah. That's it. People doing interesting things. Yeah. And, and the rest of it, the rest of it is on you. That's not, it's there. People write about people who love their families and, and try to make things happen. The, you know, there have been the, authors in the past that assume, what is it called? The pen name? Pseudonym. A pseudonym with their doing like, you know, a female writing about a male or a male writing about a female. They'll, you know, they'll change your name. I guess I'm, I'm kind of glad you didn't do that for this, this book. You're just, Hey, I'm John Gilstrap, and this is the story I'm telling about a lady who's, you know, surviving this post-apocalyptic world. It's a lot of damn hard work to write a book. I'm getting credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am. I'm not going to give some fictitious name the credit for my hard work. There you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate um, the fact that you are, and I know you get a lot of flack. I'm sure being in that industry, being a I'm not going to say a second amendment proponent, a gun proponent, but just being a constitutional lover of America lover, you know, you love America, mm -hmm. you love the freedoms that it offers and you are definitely exercising your right to free speech, uh, and to your second amendment, which protects all of our other amendments. And, uh, for you to do it in the, the environment and the industry that you are in, um, and I know that you probably do take a lot of flack on these book signings and maybe you've missed some, some of these movie deals or something because, you know, of your stance, uh, which is sad. Um, hopefully it's not due to that. Um, but I would, I would never know. Right. And they would never say, so. yeah, they would never, they would never tell you. Um, but you are my hero and you deserve a, a ride on lead force one, uh, for the work that you are doing. So I greatly appreciate it. And I look forward to getting hooked on your books. Why, thank you. I hope, I hope you enjoy the ride. Well, I, I, hope, I hope Lead Force One has a luxurious interior for me oh, to ride in. Oh, son. Right? Can... French, you know, uh, Corinthian leather. Oh, wow. The okay. wet bar. You know, we've got a cook. There's a cook on Lead Force One. Wow. Uh, it's, it's to the nines. You just tell us, uh, you know, beforehand what you want your beverage of choice to be, and okay, it'll be stocked. I, I appreciate that. Have your favorite movie on Tombstone will be playing twenty four seven, which is one of my favorite movies too. You know, and a lot of people get into the debate of, well, Wyatt Earp. You know, I, I like Wyatt Earp, Tombstone, because you know, they came out at the same time. They're about the same uh, subject matter. Uh, but you don't hear as much about Wyatt Earp as you do Tombstone. Wyatt Earp was just not as quotable, and it was way, way, way too long. Well, it was Kevin Costner, mm -hmm. <laughs> for, for one. 
He's he's very dry and droll. Yeah. yeah, but you can't you can't diss Kevin Costner. He's also no John no Dutton on Yellowstone. So I was gonna say, and I was gonna I was gonna preface that, but there are roles that he does remarkably well in Yellowstone. Yes, definitely was made for Kevin Costner. I love I love that show. Have you watched all the seasons? Yeah, I mean it's it's I I can't and that, now I got to wait another year. So it was one of those that people kept telling me you need to watch it, you need to watch it, you need to watch it. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to watch it because I'll get hooked on it. <laughs> now, I want to wait till they got at least two seasons out because I'll binge it at that point. So I did. I think three. See, I waited till season three and then I started watching it. And yeah, Beth is what I, hooked me. Of course. You know. But is it, well, I've seen T-shirts or yeah, T-shirts that say, "What would Beth do?" <laughs> she she would just bite their head off and spit there it you out. Go. <laughs> she is she is mean. So, John, it's been a pleasure. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, again, your website where people can go, JohnGilstrap.com, and that'll take you to books and uh, Facebook page and to YouTube channel and everything. So, yeah. JohnGilstrap.com. And you're not on Instagram. That I found. I haven't. I have an Instagram account, okay. but I don't really understand how to use it very much. So. I got you. Well, I was trying to tag you in our our stuff, and uh-huh. I was like, mm, I don't know if that's him or not, so I better not do it. And you didn't have John, a link. You didn't have a link on your Facebook or uh, no. your website. I just. I don't. I don't populate it. It's like okay. I have a um, Twitter account too. But I, I saw the Twitter. Yeah, I saw that Twitter one. Uh, so so leadheads, go check him out. Uh, you winners, talkingled at gmail Shoot me the email. Let me know what you won and your contact info, and we'll get that out to you. Make sure you go and support those that make this show possible, Mission First Tactical, and that's uh, missionfirsttactical.com. Leadheads is the code there, 20% off, seal1.com. Leadhead also, the code there, 25% off. 1776 United is where you're going to get our awesome T-shirts that have our logos on it and our patches with Leadhead Brigade. And the shirts, Talking Lead is the code there. You get 20% off. ASP USA, they are still offering discounts to you, Leadheads. Uh, I don't know if you're, are you familiar with ASP? They make like the handcuffs and the batons that police. Yeah, I actually have one of those lights. Okay, and they make these awesome flashlights. Dual fuel flashlights would be great for uh, prepping for preppers because it uses different types of batteries uh, and you can USB charge these things too. So uh, I've got several of them. This one right here is my little pocket EDC, the Garda, is the one I use here. Love it. ASP USA. It's ASP USA, and uh, you, there's a link on my website to all these. So you can go to my website, or you can go directly to their sites. Leadhead, all caps, 15% off. Factory 47 for our AK corner logoed uh, apparel cups and things. Leadhead, 10% off. Defiant Munitions, if you need some ammo, they've got a great line of ammo there. Pretty much any caliber that you're looking for standard-wise, you can get it Defiant Munitions. Leadhead, all caps, 10% off. Medicine in Bad Places, use the code LEADHEAD20, you get 20% off. So if you're building that IFAC kit, John, you need some medical supplies uh, for your, your prepping needs, you can go to Medicine in Bad Places, use that code LEADHEAD20, get 20% off there. Uh, and then now our new thing with Keltec, Leadhead, uh, lowercase, 15% off anything at their pro shop on their website. Uh, 
So that does it. So go show them love on their Instagrams. Let them know that you heard about them here on Talking Lead. Check out John and all his awesome books. He's got more than just those that we talked about there. I definitely want to check out the one about the rescue. Um, Jonathan Grave? No, not Jonathan. Oh, no, Six Minutes to Freedom. Six Minutes to Freedom, yeah. That sounds like that's going to be a really good book, too. I'm going to check that out as well. Uh, but again, thank you so much, John. You're welcome back anytime. And hopefully Wait, we can. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. We can meet up at the range sometime. That'd be great. I'd, you would be the person that I'd want to spend the day at the range with. Aw, thanks. There's, there's my answer. So until then, Leadheads, as always, keep your loved ones close. And your firearms closer. And keep a book by your bedside. I recommend anything with John Gilstrap's name on the spine. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Very good. You did a good job, man. Awesome. You survived the well, Talking Lead podcast marathon. How does it feel? <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun. You're very good at what you do. I, I mean-